Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by Witchschool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. Thanks for joining us. I had some little technical issues to start the show. You know, probably my fault or something. I'm sure there's a planet that we can blame for it somewhere. I'm Jason Mankey. This is Raise the Horns Radio. This is my first live show in several, several months. It's really nice to have you join us because we've got a really special guest. This is one of my favorite pagan people in the entire world. And I'm not kidding. You really are. Um, I'm joined by Mickey Moore. You really are. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me on, too. We've had, we've had some fun times, and it's great to be able to talk again. Yes. Uh, Mickey and I were in New Orleans together in June. The high there was 120 degrees Fahrenheit that weekend, and we were at the <laughs> American Library Association gathering where we signed books for Llewellyn, right? That was it. It was in June. That was, yeah, I think it was June, yeah. That was a that was amazing. That was such a great time. It was just nonstop New Orleans in your face. I loved it. It was fantastic. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably a bad person to hang out with in New Orleans though because I visit like all the bars <laughs> and I take whoever I'm with, <laughs> no. me, with me to all the bars. That that made you a good person to hang out with. <laughs> it really did. Yeah. Well. I, you know, weirdly, I go to New Orleans with a lot of frequency at this point in my life. I went again in August after our June trip. I just really like it. I like to go at least once a year now, hopefully more. It's just such a, a great city. So while we were there together, mostly drinking, we did do a little work. Yeah. And you signed copies of your newest book which is the Llewellyn Little Book Halloween, right? Yeah, yeah, that was very cool. They had advanced copies. They were the uncorrected proofs. They were paperback, and the the, uh, actual book that's out now is hardback. But those little paperbacks that we signed, you know, that's probably collector's items, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) tell us about the the Little Book Halloween. How did you end up writing this? Is it? A book for witches? Is it a book for regular people? Is it about Samhain too? I have a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, it is a book for witches, but it's also a book for non-witches, and it's about Halloween and Samhain and how they're interconnected and how a lot of us celebrate both. Um, you know, I wanted to make a book that was just basically, it's basically a, uh, I don't know what, over 200 page love letter to Halloween <laughs> and uh, its roots in Samhain and how it, you know, transformed through the ages to become, 
a secular holiday that everybody celebrates, at least in the United States. There's lots of countries where they don't actually celebrate Halloween, but, um, you know, in the United States, it's huge. And, uh, and then the fact that, um, as witches and pagans, you know, we also celebrate Samhain and, uh, you know, sometimes we, some people celebrate it on Halloween. Some people celebrate it on the, uh, astrological, Samhain, which is whatever the date ends up falling that's directly between uh, the, uh, the, I'm sorry, blah, 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 <laughs> the uh, uh, winter solstice and the uh, autumn equinox. So it's the date that falls directly in between. So some people celebrate it that day. Some of us celebrate it on Halloween night, and some of us celebrate it the weekend before because that's what we do, you know. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's just all people. about the history and the folklore and everything. Some people celebrate it for the entire month, plus a few extra days. Uh, Yes. Yes. I've recently renamed October because I was talking to Dan about it, and I was like, so for the month of Halloween, and he looked at me and he goes, "Mm -hmm." Uh (laughs) mm-hmm. So we've now renamed October as actually just Halloween, (laughs) and I just, I just shook my head and I was like, I'm sorry. And I was like, I know I was hard to live with before. Now I've got this Halloween book. I'm going to be impossible to live with in October. And he was like, yeah, pretty much, but that's okay. (laughs) They all put up with me. (laughs) So the reception to the book has been really, really good. You know, looking on Amazon, you have the number one book in the category of holidays, the number three book in witchcraft, which is really hard to do. And uh, it's number, number three right now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my it's, gosh. No, I didn't I didn't realize I know. it got to number three. I guess I have to go do a yeah, screenshot now, right? <laughs> yeah, oh that's huge. I mean you're only oh. behind Lisa Chamberlain, who apparently for some is the person none of us know who apparently dominates those categories. Uh, we might have to get a book. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I'm I swore. Sure I honestly. <laughs> yeah. Now go ahead. What were you going to say? Um, I, I for a while I didn't think Lisa Chamberlain was a real person, and then somebody told me that she <laughs> actually was. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, I got a screenshot so now. Yeah. It's special. Yeah. Pictures or it didn't happen, right? <laughs> Pretty much. That's, yeah. That, that's it, really, I, I gotta really be honest, amazing. I cannot stop being super surprised. Uh, it's just, it's flooring me. I, I still can't believe it. It seems very surreal to have a book that's selling like that. I'm just like, wow. <laughs> it's very yeah, cool. It's a very it. good, it's a very good go feeling. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And I do want to take Dan. I'm dying to take Dan because we talked about for years going to New Orleans and, you know, this opportunity to go with Llewellyn and you guys just came up. So it was like, you know, we didn't have the money for two tr- two plane tickets, to be perfectly honest. But um, I think after this, maybe I can buy two plane tickets and buy drinks <laughs> in, in New Orleans. But that sounds pretty good. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Dan is Mickey's husband. I don't want anyone, you know, thinking oh, that's right. a dog or something. We got to My dog. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Dan's my husband and partner in crime. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, let me know. I'll I'll go down there. I'll meet you there with Ari. Yeah. She's oh my gosh. We would have the best of time. I'm dying to meet Ari yeah. in person because you guys are the cutest couple on the internet. Okay. <laughs> Truly, and we, uh, we I just, did, I would we, love to. <laughs> we we doctor things pretty well for internet consumption. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> Yeah, no, nobody sees the truth. <laughs> nobody sees the truth of no. our relationship. No, actually, we have a pretty good, we have a pretty good marriage. Again, you do. I'm just teasing, of course. You do. I know you do. <laughs> I know you do because half the time we were in New Orleans, what were we talking about? Our significant others. <laughs> we were talking about our yeah. spouses. <laughs> yeah. That does say a lot. It really does. I think it does. I, I know think some it's people, pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, does Dan uh, live in the magical world like you do? He uh, he likes to tip a toe in every now and then. He's more pragmatic yeah. than I am, though. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, to be honest, he, he manifests more than he realizes. <laughs> and I'm like, look what you just did. And he's like, nah. <laughs> well, some of the most magical people I know don't think of themselves as magical people. So, it's not surprising it's at all. It's very true. It's very true. I agree with that. Is it ever tough to navigate having a partner who doesn't participate nearly, you know, as much as you do? I mean, I'm lucky, and sometimes I'm surprised how lucky mm-hmm. I am because Ari and I do all the witch stuff together. But most people totally. really don't have that kind of. Most people really don't have that, which always surprises. Most people us. don't have that. And it's phenomenal. It's a really, really cool blessing to be able to have that. Um, he stood in a couple rituals with me, and he was like, oh, okay. But, um, no, it's never hard to navigate. It's, it's, it's totally true. It's like, all right, so that's, okay. You know, he's, yeah, he's been in circles and stuff. And, and at public events, he's done circles. But he's just not, you know, like I said, he's, he's more down-to-earth and pragmatic. But, um, no, he's like, this is, this is great, because I'll, I'll be doing my thing. I'll have all my all my stuff out and I'll be casting my circle and doing my thing and he'll not realize or something or he'll forget. He'll like, you know, walk, walk up, you know, kind of past the room and he'll be like, you'll hear him go, oh, oh sorry, sorry. And he'll go and he'll toddle it up and do his thing. And he's like, and he'll just, he'll just kind of chill out and wait till I'm all done. And then I'll come out and he'll be like, how'd it go? <laughs> so, yeah. How'd it go? How'd it go? He's awesome. Dan's awesome. He's just like the most laid back dude. <laughs> so I feel like, you know, you're on the show to promote your book, so I should ask you questions about it. Instead of us just talking over wine and scotch, which uh, <laughs> Mickey's drinking wine and I'm drinking scotch yep. as we do the show, yep. it's just more yep. fun that way. It is. But was there anything <laughs> – was there anything you discovered while you were writing the book that surprised you or you were, you know, shocked to learn or happy to learn about Halloween? Oh gosh, that's a fantastic question. There were actually a lot of really cool aha moments that I had um, while writing. The first one that leaps to mind only because I spoke with somebody about it earlier today is um, okay. This is so cool. The reason that we say cats have nine lives, it goes back to black cats and their association association with Halloween. I haven't drink I haven't had that much to drink yet. 
Um, so here's the story. There's a black cat spirit that's traditional in Ireland known as a Kate She. And it's basically, yes, a cat fairy. And, of course, we're talking about fairies in ancient Ireland. We're not talking about sweet, charming fairies that are full of light and will grant wishes. We're talking about big, scary fairies that will ruin your day, you know. That's, that's the fairies. And they called them the good people for a reason because <laughs> they wanted to stay on their good side. So, anyway, there's this spirit known as a Kate She, and it, uh, according to folklore, this this cat can change into a witch and back into a cat, but it can only do it nine times. And that is why we say cats have nine lives. And I was like, holy cow, I never knew this. So that was kind of a neat little tidbit. Also, leave a, leave a dish of cream out on Halloween night for the Kate Chi, and when it passes by, it'll grant you good luck. So there's a nice little bonus for you. <laughs> So there's even more stuff I have to do on Halloween night now. Yeah, because you didn't have enough already, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> totally true. Yeah, definitely. Um, the other stuff that that I learned while I was that while I was you know working on the gosh, I did so much research and I love 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 digging into. I'm a big research girl. I'm a big research geek, and I love digging into all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff. Uh, that I learned was really neat stuff about, you know, like the twenties and the thirties trick or treat in America and how that all transpired. Cause it's actually really fascinating. Um, you know, they, they brought a lot of the traditions over from Ireland to the United States and they did a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of the stuff at, you know, parties, they did these really fun parties, um, back during the turn of the century and stuff. It was all a big whole thing. Um, but what happened during the 20s and 30s was that kids were out and they were vandalizing everything. And, the, you know, that's why we call it, some people call it mischief night or prank night. Mm-hmm. They would, like, tip over outhouses and, you know, uh, they would take people's gates. Sometimes they call it gate night. They would take people's gates off of their, uh, off of their, ho- their front of their house and then they would, like, throw it into the street. Or they would take apart... Uh, you know, cars and things like that and like build it back up on the roof and they did some really crazy stuff. Well, things started to get out of hand, especially during the depression and they were derailing streetcars and releasing livestock into the streets and smashing windows. And it was getting to be very dangerous and causing a lot of problems. So these communities got together and they said, we have to do something. And they decided uh, to, instead of having the kids out pranking, they were going to host these big Halloween parties in the streets and have all the kids come in costumes, have them do parades, and they would have these big parties and serve food and, and have, like, all kinds of fun stuff for them to do at these parties to curb their mischief that they were causing. And they would even do, like, radio shows, apparently, where uh, they would announce prizes, but they would announce it over the radio after the party was over. So kids couldn't go out after the parties and go pranking. They had to go home and listen to the radio to see if they had won a prize. So it's just a way to so get kids off the streets. And it's totally manipulative. It's like give them candy and they'll be cool. And it worked, you know, and it totally worked. So next thing you know, people were uh, hosting it like at their doorstep, you know, that kids could come by. You give them some candy, and they wouldn't egg your house, and that's literally where the term trick or treat comes from. It's it's 
it's basically, uh, yeah, um, bribery. <laughs> it's payola to keep the kids from trashing your house. <laughs> I so, like you. That being I am said, a, a, I think that. Yeah. I was going to say that being said, uh, people who don't like want to give candy to teenagers when they come to your house, maybe consider this little tidbit. Give them some candy. I know those. <laughs> Those are the houses that I always went back to when I was a teenager trick-or-treating. Yeah, definitely. And not not in a good way. Oh, really? Yeah, the ones that wouldn't give you candy. Yep. Yeah? Jerks. I'm also a bit of a holiday history nerd. I know you are. And I don't know. Maybe maybe this is me. I don't know if you feel this way, which is kind of why I'm asking. But in a lot of ways, Halloween always felt like the repository of holiday traditions that we wanted to put somewhere, but we decided that they weren't going to be a part of Christmas or Thanksgiving or New Year's. <laughs> does, does that make sense? I can see. I can see where that's coming from. But um, interestingly, it's, uh, Halloween is tied in with New Year because, as you know, and probably half your readers at least know, um, Samhain, which is the forerunner to Halloween was the Celtic New Year. So if we, you know, a lot of the traditions that we associate with New Year can also be attributed to Halloween. So that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, I guess, I guess I always thought trick or treat as kind of like the last way that we do waffle now. Cause I mean, that was such a big thing for, for a while right. door to door and asking asking for Christmas stuff, and then we stopped mm-hmm. going door-to-door, asked for Christmas stuff, but we let people still do it on Halloween. That, that's just me. Maybe I'm way off base. I don't know. No, but you're right. That is true. That is true. And um, interestingly, um, Ting has that song, Soul Cakes, and it's yep. about going door to door and begging for soul cakes. And he and it, it's on a Christmas album. It's on one of his Christmas albums. I'm not sure. I don't know that Sting has more than one Christmas album, but it's out there um, at any rate. But soul cakes actually, um, it's interesting that he that he applied that to Christmas because soul cakes actually comes from All All Souls Day, which is two days after Halloween. It was the uh, it was the way that the church decided maybe we can get these darn pagans to stop celebrating Samhain because they already moved all Saints Day from May and brought it to November 1st to try to get them to stop celebrating Samhain. And they were like, okay, yay, all Saints Day, but still Samhain. Sorry, guys, because we have to, we have to venerate our, sacred, our, our dead people. You know, our, the saints are great, but, you know, we still have our dead relatives. And, and they didn't want to give it up because there were, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of superstitions surrounding it and things that, you know, rituals that people felt they needed to do to appease the, you know, the dead and the, the fairy that may be roaming the earth and people didn't want to give it up. So they said, all right, if you guys won't stop, even after we gave you All Saints Day, how about we do a second day, the day after Saints All Saints Day, and we'll call it All Souls Day. And that'll be about all of your dead relatives. And, and then people were like, Oh, well, I guess that could be okay. We could we could probably go along with that. And Violent. that's where that's where the that's where the soul cake ritual comes in because here's what they did. You had to offer prayers and a ton of them to get your dead relatives who maybe weren't perfect on earth and who is 
out of purgatory and into heaven. This was, again, with the payola, right? So you had to, right. people would, what they would do is, <laughs> the, right? I know. So the household, they would all bake these soul cakes, and the children and the poor would go door to door, and they would offer prayers for the uh, beloved dead of each household in exchange for these soul cakes. And they would, and then they had these, these nice sweet treats that they could eat. And that's, and that was, that's where the soul cakes thing comes from. So it's kind of funny that um, we do a lot of people now associate soul cakes with Christmas, but really it's more, it's more tied in with uh, Halloween and uh, all souls day. In fairness though, by February 2nd, all of the malls and retail stores have switched over to Christmas music. So, you know, yeah. just a part of that long 60-day slog through November oh, and man. December. Praise, totally right. praise be this thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was talking to my daughter the other day. Um, Brittany, she's a, she's a vintage blogger, and she's a really cool girl. Well, I was talking to her on the phone, and uh, I said, you know, it occurs to me that if I just were to decorate all my Halloween stuff and just do Nightmare Before Christmas theme, I could just leave it up, right? I think that would work. <laughs> you could. Leave it I up always, all the way I'm annoyed. I'm always annoyed by people who tell me that the Nightmare Before Christmas is a Halloween movie. Because it's not a Halloween movie. Most of it takes place after Halloween. What it really is is yeah. like a middle of November movie. It's, it's like the, the gap. November. It's the bridge. <laughs> the bridge between the two seasons. Mm-hmm. It, it kind me, of is. Tell me I'm very wrong. true. Tell me I'm wrong. I, I am absolutely not going to tell you wrong because you're right. That's true. I mean, they're in Halloween Town and all of that happening. However, you're right. It really is more of a Christmas movie. But I th- I still think of yeah. it as a Halloween movie, and this is only because every year when we would unpack all of our all of our Halloween stuff and start to decorate. My my daughters and I would start singing the song. So, <laughs> well, I mean, it does open up with a great song. We can't we can't sing any of it. Yeah. Then we'd have to pay like a rights fee, which really sucks. I know. And I was but, like, you know, I, I was I, fighting the urge. I was fighting the urge. <laughs> I know. I was ready. You know. I know. I can say this. That's all we can do. That's all legally we're allowed yeah. to do. There's just. Yeah, and there's it's, just and not that much money as well. And it's soon. It's not. Yeah. There's just not. Well, there's just not that much money in the pagan we... world. Oh, yeah, no. There's no. <laughs> no, there's not. Yeah. You're not wrong. I'm happy when one of my. <laughs> I'm happy when one of my books is like number one hundred thousand on the Amazon bestseller list. You're sitting there like at number two thousand right now. I mean, well, like, yeah. wow. But see, I'm in. I'm usually in your boat where I'm going. Oh yeah, you know, it's doing okay <laughs> and, and and feeling good. But it's like, yeah, this is weird. This is weird to me. It's. I honestly, I hope it never stops being surreal because I kind of like that feeling. It's. I don't know. It's like when you get your. It's like when you get your your box of books and you know what this feels like when they send you that first box of books and you open it up and you're like, oh, it's real. It's real, and yes, you take it out, it. and you hold it in your hand, and you flip through it, and you read your own words like some kind of dork, because I know I do that. And that never I, that never stops being fantastic for me, and the day it does is the day I'll stop doing it, because, yeah, I love that. I love that feeling. It's a great feeling. It's like, wow, I made a thing, you know. 
I don't, I don't think I'll, I'll ever stop doing that, though. I'm always like, I can't believe that I wrote that. That's really how I feel. It's like, wow, that's so, like, it's not, like, total garbage. And I can't believe I wrote that because I always feel like, uh, I was like a giant fraud and imposter, you know? <laughs> you know what? I think that happens to everybody because I know I do that, too. I'll flip, I'll flip through looking for a cell or something. I'm like, oh, I wrote that cell for the cell of day almanac, and I'll flip through, and I'll try to find it, and I'll be like, I'll read the cell, and I'll be like, oh, wow. I can't believe I wrote that. And it's kind of a cool it's kind of a cool feeling. You're like it was like you were a different person when you did that. And it's like how did wow, okay. It's kinda of cool. Well, I don't it, know, it does that really mean we're does. channeling spirit? Maybe. Well, Maybe. Does, or does it just mean we're feel. forgetful. Well, I mean the 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 distance between when you send a book in to a publisher like Llewellyn and when you finally yeah. get it back in your hands, it's so yeah. great that it is easy to forget that you wrote it because it is such a long time, right? It's true. It's true. Yeah, I think I don't think people, people don't realize, realize that. Mhm. Yeah, I started yeah. writing this book October first of last year, and it came out in September. But I will say this about that: um, they told me this was one of the quickest turnaround times they've ever had for a book because they really wanted to get it out there. So it was like, yeah, that is really fast. I know it was. It's really, really fast. It's unusually fast, and it usually isn't that fast. I mean, look at oh my gosh, my my tarot decks. They take forever to do, and it's at least a year, you know, for all the editing and the design and all of the things. It just all takes it all takes time. Yeah. How long did it take you to write the book? Well, I did. I started. Um, I started October first. I would have started sooner, but I was finishing up art for um, Magical Dogs Tarot when they actually contacted me about this book. I was I was racing to meet the deadline for Magical Dogs Tarot and drawing like a mad person. And uh, Dan and I were putting the finishing touches on the book for that because uh, my husband Dan wrote the book with me on that one. He wrote the lion's share of that one. And um, thank goodness. Thank goodness, because uh, coming down the pipe was this little book. Um, but, yeah, I got, I got contacted by Bill uh, Krauss up at Llewellyn, and he sent me a, an email. I was like, how you doing? We've got a little project we think you might be interested in. It's a really <laughs> short deadline. And I was like, yeah, okay. And, and then he told me it was the little book of Halloween, and I, I, I was just, like, losing it. I was like, oh, my gosh, yes, you know. I, I, there's no other project they probably could ask me if I would at that moment in time that I would have said yes to other than a book about Halloween. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm doing that. Just sign me up today. Send the contract. I'm in. So I, um, I couldn't start writing it right away as much as I wanted to. I actually started it October 1st. Um, so, when, you know, when you read the book and, and at the, uh, the introduction, it says I'm writing this October 1st. I actually really literally was starting to write that book. <laughs> October 1st. And the, yeah. And the deadline was um, middle of December. That's fast. Man. Wow. That is super That's fast. Fast. That's yeah. fast. It's not a big book, but um, this is the other thing that I do when I write. I tend to be super long-winded. So, like, I write way more than I need, and then I go through and pare it down. So I actually wrote a much larger book <laughs> and then pared it down. But um, 
But yeah, I mean, I crammed every bit of folklore and magic and love and I don't know recipes, everything I could cram into this little book I did. It's loaded. <laughs> well, well, you know when you like, well, I, don't know, I had this great thought and then I totally like just misplaced it. I'm gonna blame the scotch, even though it's probably just a symptom of getting older. But oh, well, we when you write the a book for the well, though, when you write a book for the well, no, they always want to cut things from it or something or make you add more. So I just always make mm-hmm. sure to write the longest book possible with the hopes that I don't yeah. have to write anything else once I turn it in. So, like, the more you yeah. do, the better off you are, really. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually very true. That's very true. Um, I really try to stick within their uh, – and this is and this comes from me having worked in the printing business years ago. Um, I kind of try to stay within the uh, word count as much as I can, only because I kind of get that end of it. But um, I do, when I end up in time, have a, a separate document, and I'll throw all the stuff I cut into that separate document so that if I need to add more later, I can. Because they were like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Bill was like, oh, he's like, he's like write, write some more about the movies. And I'm like, okay. He's like, I want to hear about the old school horror movies. And I'm like, dude, I'm on it because I love the old school horror movies. So the movie section got changed up a little bit, and it was definitely for the better. Um. He wanted some more recipes, so I put more recipes. And he wanted more spells, so I put more spells. So yeah, I I was thrilled, you know. <laughs> I was like, I love I love when they're like, yeah, give us more of this, and give us more of that. So yeah, it was it was kind of cool. I can always write more. So <laughs> it's hard for me to write less. <laughs> so one of the things about you, which I'm really jealous of, is you have like many skills and abilities. I can almost like write competently. You not only can write competently, you're also a really fabulous, great artist. You know, when, like, Thank I have a you. book that's in the final stages of, of editing, and Ari's first thought, though, and I was like, yeah, I got the first PDF of the book today, but the art isn't in it yet. And she's like, Mickey's doing the art, right? <laughs> that's, that's, how you're, that's how you're thought of in our house. Mickey's doing the art, right? Ari, I love you. Like, you <laughs> And I was like, I don't think so, because I think she would have told me if she was. And there's really not a whole lot of art in that book anyways. But I just wanted to know that we yeah. think about you all the time. And you're an artist, and Thank this you. has been a really, really super busy year for you because the Magical Dogs Tarot just came out last month. It's yeah. been out for only a month and a couple of days. Uh, tell us about yeah. the, the tarot deck and how that came together. That's a That's a kind of really cool story, actually, how that all happened. Um, I heard from Lunea Weatherstone, who's the author of Magic, a Mystical Cats Tarot, that I worked, I worked with her on that. We were partners on that project, and that was loads of fun. Lunea's fantastic. And she, she dropped me a little line, and she was like, oh, I heard through the grapevine that Malone's thinking about doing a dog tarot. She's like, I don't really know, but, um, you know, check into it. And I was like, all right. So I started talking to Dan, I was literally sitting in front of my computer. It was on the dining room table. He's in the living room, and I was like, hey, Dan, listen to this. And I started talking to him about the idea of a dog tarot, and his eyes just lit up because he loves, loves, loves dogs. And he knows, oh, he knows a little more. He knows a little more about tarot than he wants to let on because he's 
my husband <laughs> and you know you <laughs> pick up a lot of that stuff through osmosis you know i would i would run stuff by him all the time when i was working on my oracle decks and when i was working on cats you know and i would discuss these things with him so he knows more than he wants to think he does anyway we started talking about dogs and how and the ways in which dogs are magical and he came up with some really fantastic ideas. And, of course, you know, and, and Lunea had already expressed that she really wasn't into it. And she was like, so maybe you want to do, maybe you want to write it, Mickey. And because she's like, you can write. Maybe you want to write it. Maybe you want to illustrate it. So I was like, man. So Dan and I started talking. And as he's talking, I open up a document on my computer and I start clicking away. He's talking and he's pacing because this is what Dan does. He paces and he talks. And this is when his best ideas come. And I'm just like, click, 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 click. I'm typing away. Okay, man, hit me. What else? And we came up with like a million reasons why dogs are magical. And we talked about how a dog tarot could work. And he was, and he came up with the whole, you know, for the kings and queens are alpha male and alpha female. It was like, oh my God, that's brilliant. And I wrote that down. And, you know, of course the pages. And the, we decided the guardians would be, the uh, the knights because you think of the dogs that are watching the borders of their territories and we did it um, we designed it to be um, the elements in the same way that the cat deck did we didn't want to we didn't want to copy the cat deck but we wanted to honor it and and she you know we did the uh, earth air fire water suit for that deck so we thought that makes sense to do it for the dogs as well we came up with a million ideas and we sent it off. Uh, to Barbara Moore and she was like hey this isn't bad next thing you know I guess it was like a month later she's she's emailing me she's like so we did we would like a proposal for that (laughs) and uh, I told Dan I was like you contributed so much to this concept and I was like you're a really good writer nobody knows it because I had read his work before a long 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 time ago stuff that he had done back in the day because he was an AP English student in high school and stuff and he can write and he, he proofreads all my stuff and catches a lot of stuff and help. You know, sometimes he's like, what if you worded this like that? So he's also a great editor. And uh, I was like, I really would like you to be my partner on this project because he's also a great storyteller. So with, um, Llewellyn wanted a sample of his writing and uh, he, he sat down and, and knocked out the introduction and then several uh, of the card descriptions and we sent that in and they were very happy. So and the rest is history. It was it was a really amazing process working with working with my husband on this because we have that shorthand that you have with the husband and wife, as you know, with Ari. You know. Yeah, and I like I have to fight to get Ari to help me with the twenty five spells we have to do for the Llewellyn Spell Almanac. She hasn't really like <laughs> helped me totally write a book yet. And after writing those 25 spells, it's like, no, never again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh, that's funny. Well, I don't know if Dan will ever write anything ever again either, but we did have a lot of fun on the dog tarot. We really did. It was a, it was a, it was just a project so full of love. Oh, my gosh. And he's also a published artist now because he has a sketch in that. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he already was a published artist. Well, he well, not really, because what Dan does is he takes uh, he takes all my art and he puts it on merchandise, and then we sell it in our Etsy shop. But uh, 
yeah, he doesn't he doesn't really create any. He he doesn't create the art. He just makes the art better by putting it on a coffee mug. And who doesn't want a coffee mug with <laughs> cool art, you know? <laughs> right. So he does all of that stuff. But yeah, he uh, he actually uh, because sometimes he would sketch out kind of like this is what I picture. What I because the all most I won't say all almost all of the concepts for the de- for the, all of the images were Dan. He came up with these stories on how dogs could live in this world and express the stories of tarot. And he came up with all these stories and he would sometimes sketch it out on, on a little funny old little piece of paper to show me what he had in mind. And then I would like Mickey eyes it, you know, for mass consumption. But uh, we actually put the, one of those sketches the in the back either. of the book. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, we put one of those sketches in the back of the book because it made us laugh so hard when we saw it. And we were like, yeah, you know, have, uh, they've got a few of the sketches in the back um, to show kind of the process of how the cards are made. We did like the pencil sketch and then notes on the things that we changed or different things like that. And then they can see the sketch versus the finished card. And it's kind of neat. But on um, the two of Earth, you can see Dan's art. And then we've got my sketch next to it. And then you can compare it to the finished card, and it's kind of neat. So when you two were putting this together, did you, like, have a list of, you know, the, the beagle goes on this card and the, the mastiff goes on this card and I have to put a pug here? And, like, I don't know, for lack of a better word, sort of storyboard it all out before you started drawing? We did, we did to a certain point. Uh, we did have card descriptions were completed before I started drawing. And that made me super happy. Um, but, the, but the thing is, yeah, we kind of thought about which breeds would go into which suits more than specific cards. There were some that were obvious. Like, I mean, the uh, alpha male for the fire dog pack, obviously that, I mean, that was going to be a Dalmatian, right? You know, that was, that was like an easy one. Um, there were some that some that really were easier to come to than others. Um, I'll be honest. Once we finished the deck, there were breeds that we didn't didn't do, and I was like, "Oh man, I wish I'd thought to do that breed or that breed," because you know it just I to a certain degree, these stories kind of spoke to me, and I just drew the dogs that needed to be there more than necessarily focusing on which breeds we got in there. But I was kind of. I was at the at the end of it. I was like, "Oh, there were there were some breeds I left out, which makes me sad." But you know what? I love all dogs. <laughs> I really do. And we have a lot of mixed breed dogs. Some of those uh, we specifically wanted to be mixed breed dogs, and some of them just ended up being, you know, the mixes and stuff. And the mixes and mutts, we love them all. <laughs> do you have a favorite picture out of all of the different ones in the dog tarot? Oh my gosh! Okay, yeah, are, I, I got to tell your you what I do. And you love them. They're all okay. my babies, and I love them all. I have a few. I have a few favorites. The one that's on my because, of course, once we submitted all the art and we were done, we were so happy that we celebrated by making phone cases for our, our cell phones, and because uh, <laughs> we can do that. And uh, uh, on mine, I have the priestess. The Priestess is probably one of my favorites. I love that card because it's it's really a neat dog, first of all. It's a, oh gosh, and now I'm, okay, it's a New Guinea singing dog, which is a dog I'd never heard of in my life. But it's a super, super old breed, and they're like almost wild. 
So I thought, oh, that works really well for the priestess because she's like the, you know, she's representing, you know, the deep mysteries and everything. So I'm like, okay, she's really in touch with her wild side. I wanted the priestess to be one of those kind of dogs. So she's pretty cool. And uh, I, and then I did uh, for the pillars on either side. Because I got, I actually, Dan and I both were really inspired by the wider writer weight uh, myth symbolism, and we wanted to include some of those things for readers to make it easier for them, you know, because we're also used to that symbolism. When you look at it, you're going to recognize that that's what that is. And so, you know, um, she's standing on a moon with her four, her four paws and it's floating in midair with little magical sparklies. I told Dan, I'm going to do magical sparklies. And he knows what I mean by that because he, he knows my work, but the two pillars on either side, the dark pillar and the light pillar we did as rainbow eucalyptus trees and it's just like such a magical scene. I just love it. So that's like one of my all times. My other one would be um, the uh, alpha male or sorry, the alpha female of the earth dog, because that's my dog Freya. And it's a picture that I took of her when she was out messing around the day we were gardening. And it's just, it's just, ah, she's my girl. So, you know, that's one of my favorites. And then the third favorite that, yeah, that's just because she's my girl, and I think it's I think it's charming. And then my third favorite, honestly, weirdly, was the death card, because the uh, the death card in Mystical Cats Tarot was a really tough act to follow, because that one we have we had such a fantastic reaction from from that because it's a it's a cat the little cat you know who's passed and he's laying there. And, and, and a little oak, a little clearing, and it's dark all around. And you see the nine lives of the cat, the spirit. We're back to the Kate she again. The, the nine lives are coming out of the forest, and the last one is jumping out of the cat's body. And it's just, like, really a moving piece. And I was like, sheesh, how am I going to follow that, you know? Uh, but we did. We came up with uh, Anubis for the death card, and he's ushering the spirit of a sweet little dog who's passed into the afterlife. And it's just kind of, it's sweet and heartwarming and it, it makes me smile. So that's, I feel like if you can, you know, pick a, pick a scary card and give it some love. <laughs> it's a good thing. How long does it take to go, uh, you know, from proposing a tarot deck at Llewellyn to getting one done? I know they don't publish very many every year. I think, just right. two or three or something like that. Yeah. 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 They only do a few every year and it actually changes occasionally, but usually I think maybe it's two and I could be, I could be missing here because I, I'm not really positive, but uh, it, it was two years that we spent working on that. Now I'm sure that not everybody spends as long on that. And um, I don't know. I'm a little bit of a procrastinator. I probably could have gotten through it faster, but eh, it is what it is. <laughs> I have no free time. <laughs> and and while that's not free time, it's work time, but you know what I mean. It's I, I have a lot of falls that I'm usually juggling in the air and uh so yeah, it was that was two years from uh, from the proposal from when we signed the contract until we submitted and then um I guess another year for the publishing process. So yeah, it's a really long journey. Two years. I guess I'm not surprised. That's so much work doing all that. That's are a you, lot of hard. Are you happy? What's it feel like when you like look through a tarot deck like that and it's your art? Is it different than the feeling that you get when you pick up a book that you've written? 
it's not for me. I just, I, it still bores me. I, I flip through those cards and I'm like, I can't believe they're real. I can't believe, I can't believe they're real. You know, it's just like amazing. I don't know. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, when you go nine months and then you deliver a child and you're like, holy cow, you know, that, <laughs> that indigestion turned into a person. This is fantastic. And it's kind of like that, you know, well, in this case, that indigestion turned into a deck. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's it's, keep the, it's the same for me. It's do you keep the rights to your art? Like, can you use the art that you do for a tarot deck in other things, like sell prints of it, or does Llewellyn get to control yeah. all of it? No, um, Llewellyn yeah. has been so good to me. They've been so good to me, and um, yeah, we were able to uh, in, in my contract uh, for my deck. Um, able to keep the rights. They always give you the art. They always give you the original art back. You send, you mm-hmm. send the art, either you send the physical art in, or this time I was able to scan it myself, which made me super happy. So I didn't have to ship it off, but they, they always give you the artwork back. So, you know, they never keep the originals. Uh, but as far as the rights, um, I don't know if they do that with other artists. They probably do if they, if the artist asks them to, but um. Yeah, I had asked them when I did uh, back when I did Voice of the Trees. I I said I would really love the rights to be able to make merchandise from this. That you know, like I you know I want to be able to do tote bags and coffee mugs and some stuff like that, because at that time we were already uh, we already had our little dice sublimation business going, and they were happy to. They were like, yeah, that's fine. They said you can use it for anything you want as long as you're not making tarot decks because that's what we're doing with it. I'm like, no problem. Right. I, I would never, you know, so it, so it worked out really well. Um, but yeah, I just I just always ask for that in my contracts, and they're and they're like, yeah, no problem. So yeah, it's kind of cool because that way we can offer other stuff, um, and things like tarot bags and uh, we have tarot tins, and it's nice for people because sometimes they want something like that that they can store their deck in if they're just, you know, taking it for readings. Maybe they don't want to haul the whole box along and stuff like that. So it's a nice. It's a nice way to offer people something extra, you know, with their with their favorite card on it. And of course, like the tin is going to last longer than the little tiny box that they give you, because those totally. don't ever those, those don't ever last very yeah. long. I mean, yeah. I, mean I try I to keep say, them, but they just yeah. have tape on them. The the old school ones, the old little flimsy, yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that's really cool, though. I don't know if you've gotten any tarot decks from Llewellyn lately. Um, the new projects that are now coming out, and uh, Mystical Cats Tarot and Magical Dogs Tarot, are both in this situation. They've uh, they have new boxes, and these boxes are really nice. They're it's a really nice heavy box. It's very um, how do I describe it? It's I, I I should know because I I used to work in a display industry, but I can't think of the term for these. But they're they're really heavy boxes with a little magnet clasp that you open, and it's got the card oh, set on the inside and a ribbon that you lift to, to pull the book out and then the the cards out. Oh my gosh, yeah, they're really nice. The new ones, they're really nice. The first one I ever saw like that was when I um I I got to go visit Llewellyn. Gosh, was it last year or the year before? It was the year before last. They had their first author fest, and uh, I got to go visit. And Melanie Marquis had her tarot deck had just mm-hmm. come out, and 
it was in the new box. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. And I was like, this is awesome, which her tarot deck, if you haven't seen it, is beautiful. Um, and uh, I was like, oh, gosh, I, ho- I hope that, I hope that you know, they start doing all of them like that. And, they, and the new ones, is, as they go to reprint, they're, they're putting them in the new fancy, fantastic-looking boxes. So they're, the new ones are actually super sturdy and really nice. But, yeah, for people that have the old ones, you really need something else to put them yeah. in other than those little boxes. But they listen, you know, and I like that. As, as a Llewellyn author, and probably mostly as the guy who runs Patheos Pagan, they sent, Llewellyn sends me, like, all the witchcraft books now that they publish. And when I go to Pantheacon, they have, like, shelf. all the new Yeah, well, I send a lot of them out for um, oh, review yeah. and stuff. They have not sent... They have not right. sent me yours yet, though. Probably because it doesn't need any help. You know, I mean, it is, it is like number three on the witchcraft charts. <laughs> like, it's like talking to, it's like, it's like I'm talking to the, to the Bon Jovi of witchcraft, you know. <laughs> I'm not, I'll take that. <laughs> I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Uh, but I can't you, sing any of his send, songs either. They don't ever send me any tarot decks. And at Pantheacon, they like have all the new books out and they have like a lot of the new tarot decks. And on Sunday nights, they have, it's like a thing for authors, just for authors mm-hmm. and maybe their partners or whatever else. And we get to take home all the stuff that's left over at the end, and everybody, like, fights oh. over the tarot decks. Like, they're, they all yes. rush to the tarot deck, or they pick one up, and then they hide it and so that they can, <laughs> you know, get it later when they tell you that everything's, <laughs> you know, up for grabs. Yeah. So last year, Thorn Mooney, well, this February, Thorn Mooney and I were like moving things around, so only we would know where <laughs> they were. <laughs> so we could just boom, get a bunch of stuff because we we got cheated out of the tarot decks I think the year before, so we were determined yeah. that we were going to win this time. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking you forward do, to. Man. <laughs> you do, you do. I'm looking forward to like snagging your. Dog Tara this next time around. Thanks. And you know, thank you. But yeah, you don't get any money from that though, so don't thank me because it's just, they're just giving it away. But it's I'm okay. not a dog person. I don't so mind. I can't just I can't justify buying it because you know if my cats found out, right, I would be in so much trouble. You know. Yeah, and the last thing you want to do is make your cats mad at you. Well, yeah. I mean, they could pee on your face in the middle of the night or something. You, know, you <laughs> yes, never know. They can. They can. You're a little jerk. You're not you wrong. Never know. <laughs> yeah. We, we well, think it's kind of like the Irish fairies. Yeah. They're a lot like the Irish fairies. They can ruin your day, so we should just call them the good people, the deer cats. Yeah. Who we don't want yeah, them to poop I, in our shoes. <laughs> Ari and Ivan were, like, out of the house. And we call each other, like, let's say I'm on the road and she's home. I'll be like, how are the little assholes doing? And she's, oh, the cats are fine. <laughs> but that's kind of what we call them. We, we don't, we don't yeah. pretend they're fairies. We just call them the assholes, even yeah. though we love them the very assholes. much. Because, yeah. because they well, are. Yeah. Eh, they, you know what? I'm sure that the cats don't mind. They're probably like, damn right I'm an asshole. You know? <laughs> That's a total cat. They probably don't even Dogs care that I'm hand. saying bad things about them. You know, don't. cats don't they care don't about care. anything. No. Now, dogs, on the other hand, dogs, on the other hand, they walk around going, oh, gosh, 
I hope they don't think I'm an asshole. You know, that's a, that's a total dog thing. They just want to please. That's all they want. They just want to please. And they're like, you know, they do. They walk in and like, did I do something wrong? They're very, the, they're very much the opposite. It was interesting, the difference between working with the cat deck and the dog deck, because yeah, you know, dogs are, they're definitely, it's not just, they're not just another kind of animal. They're another kind of creature completely, you know. Oh, totally yeah. different vibe. <laughs> well, like a dog, it's like having a small child, though, because you have to, like, be home to let it go outside. If you've mm-hmm. got a cat, you just put the lid on the toilet bowl up, and then it won't, like, you know, run out of water. It's that easy. Yeah. It's totally true. Yeah. 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 Cats are super would never... self-sufficient. I'm looking at one of them right now, and I'm like, I would never make you drink out of the toilet, Summer. Just, you know, that would never really happen. It's a joke. <laughs> Calm down. I can already see the look pie. on that cat's face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's our fuck up, saying though. Apple, and, it came, and she came running. <laughs> she did. She's our suck up, though. She's always super sweet, and she's always posing for pictures just right. Like, I can't take pictures of Aww. my cat. On the altar, yeah. it's always Ari's cat. So you've done all of the illustrations in the three books that I've published so far, and you've done all the illustrations in the Witches Tool series for Llewellyn, of which yeah. um, my co-author with the Witches Altar, Laura Tempest-Zakroff, wrote the Witches Cauldron. What's it like uh, when somebody sends you a picture of their altar and you have to draw it? What do you, what goes through your mind? when that kind of thing happens? Honestly, it depends on the picture. And if it's a pretty good picture, I'm thrilled. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, the biggest thing for me is I, I want to honor that author important to me, you know, um, and I want to honor their book. I, I feel like it's really important to me. I don't, I don't know. I want, I want an author to look at the illustrations that I've provided for their book and feel like it, it fits with their message. And, um, yeah, when, I mean, when they send me a picture of their altar, it's like, I want to get this right. You know, I feel like that's really important. Um, sometimes if the pictures aren't super clear, I can usually find an image of that same statue or uh, piece. I try, I try to stay true to it. And sometimes I have to change things. I have to alter a L T E R their A L T A R. Because uh, <laughs> I knew you would appreciate that. Sometimes I have to alter their altar um, for, uh, you know, whatever reason in the book. Maybe there's, you know, a piece that uh, that I can't duplicate for one reason or another. I just don't have a good enough image or, you know, different reasons and stuff. But I really do try to stay true to what they what they're giving me because I feel like it's important. I mean, that's their personal sacred space. And I, I don't know. I mean, myself. I've actually had artists illustrate my stuff uh, a few times, uh, stuff that I'd sent in for some of the almanacs where I do illustrate for the magical almanac, but they have other artists that do, uh, that do illustrations for some of the other periodicals that I write for. And um, it always makes me feel really good because I, I send, I usually send some good reference pictures in with my stuff. If there's something that I'm trying to, to, to describe and I'm like, here's a picture of what it looks like. Because as an artist, I always appreciate when people give me a good reference photo. I'm like, all right, cool. I can make it look how you want it to. And that makes me happy because then I can in turn make you happy. 
Um, but it makes me feel really good when I get to see what the other artists do with the stuff I send them. Um, and it's, and they've always done, they've always done a great job. You know, it's really a cool, it's really a cool feeling to see what they come up with. And I'm always thrilled with it. I'm always really happy. We, there's some really talented people up at Llewellyn and people, and the, the freelancers, the other, the other freelancers that work for Llewellyn are fantastic. You know, we've, we've got a pretty good group. I always kind of feel like I'm writing books just so I can get you to draw things in my house. <laughs> you know what? Feel free to write all the books you want because I'm happy to do those illustrations. <laughs> I love that. It's a, uh, it's, it's scary. Uh, for those of you who've ever like flipped through the witches athame or the witches book of shadows. And those are, those are two of mine. Like, you know, I'm taking a picture of my athame and then that Mickey yep. draws it from the picture, and it's like completely like right on the nose. It's like, whoa, there's my, <laughs> there it is, there's my knife right there. there. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. there's my sword, a little cleaner than it actually is, but there's my sword and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I love yep. it so much. I love it so much. What was the first thing you well, ever your book's did for personal? <laughs> the very yes. first thing I ever did for Llewellyn was. Um, the well-worn path that was how I broke in with them was the well-worn path and I had worked with um you know illustrations that I had online back in the day and this this was like I don't know back in the 90s I was doing some pagan illustrations and putting them online and um Raven Gramasi saw them and thought they were cool and wanted to use a couple of them for the cover of his fantastic magazine that he had back out in the day called Raven's Call. If you can ever find a copy of any of those old old publications, they are really, really cool. And, uh, yeah, I was, you could have blown me down with a feather when he said, uh, you know, um, I would like to use your you know, illustration for the cover of my magazine. And I was like, heck, yeah. So, you know, we just did a, we just did a trade. I, you know, he... He did the illustration. He he used the illustration and put a little ad in there for my website, which was I was thrilled. I was thrilled. I was like, yes, that's awesome, because that's how you do when you're breaking in, you know. And I, and I recommend to anybody, if that if you want to break into you know illustration, it's a good place to start. Um, is doing stuff like that. Anyway, he um, later on down the road had come up with he and he and his wife Stephanie uh, came up with these concepts for for this this concept for this oracle deck that they wanted to do that was based on the foundations of witchcraft and such a fantastic idea. And, uh, they, they managed to track my butt down and, uh, he called me on the phone in my shop that I was running at the time. And it was like really cool. So yeah, um, I, I did some art, uh, did a couple pieces because of course we had to submit them for, to Llewellyn and have them look at them and make sure they were happy with them. And, uh, yeah, and so, yeah, I ended up doing the, the well-worn path deck with uh, Raven and Stephanie, which was fantastic. And, and it was such a neat experience because, you know, um, discussing, I, I don't know. I mean, there's, I, you know, I was, uh, I was just a little chick in the Midwest, you know, and uh, to be able to, you know, have these phone conversations with Raven Gramasi and Stephanie Gramasi uh, on the phone about witchcraft. And the foundations and discuss. I mean, my gosh, I have notebooks full of notes when we talked about all this stuff. It was just, uh, it was an absolute blessing to be able to work with that with them on that project. Um, and then it was originally meant to be an eighty card deck, 
Uh, but Llewellyn wanted just a 40-card deck because it's an oracle, and they prefer a smaller oracle. Well, it did so well that um, Raven and Stephanie managed to talk them into doing, let's do the hidden path. Let's do the second the second half of this deck that we intended to be one. And uh, so we got to do a second deck together. And next thing you know, I was, I was like, I want to write for Llewellyn. And they knew who I was by then. So I wrote a couple articles for their online journal. And then the next thing you know, um, I'm illustrating for them. So it was really cool. You know, it just, it just kind of blossomed into this, big thing and it's it's a it's actually it's absolutely a pleasure it's absolutely a pleasure so i mean raven you're your door in that's pretty cool yeah yes wow. he was i owe him i owe him and stephanie a lot for for helping me out with that i mean that was just it was a it was a neat it was a neat thing <laughs> it was a really neat thing those are both out Total of print now too. Too. Um, they're both out of those print. are both out of yeah. print now yeah yeah yeah. Is it is it is it sad when something goes out of print? It is. It really is. And occasionally I'll get people messaging me going, Hey, where can I get a copy of that? And it's like, Oh gosh, there's some guy selling it selling it for five hundred dollars on eBay. You know, and that kind of makes yeah. you sad because you're like, Oh, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is it's a sad thing when something goes out of print. I don't know, I'm sad for other people when their stuff goes out of print. <laughs> That's just who I am. <laughs> well, yeah. Who has the rights to the art in something like that? Is it Raven or is it you? I do. Yeah. yeah I so you could always kind of so, reset that, them. You could always kind of redo them yourself I was, if you wanted to. Yeah. Right? Just the cards, though. The, uh, the, because the book is Raven. The book is Raven and Stephanie, so right. I would never, I would never. Oh gosh, no, yeah, that would never happen. I do, I, you know, I do put out, I do put out some little little merchandisey things uh, for people who are fans of the of the deck uh, that they can, you know, they can get people who still have the deck, they can get a tarot tin or a tarot bag from me. Um, but and we talked for we talked for a while about possibly revisiting the idea of maybe maybe putting it out there as one deck the way it was meant to be from the beginning, which I think would be a fantastic thing to do. But, um, you know, he's got other projects that he's been working on and I've got other projects that I've been working on and we just haven't been able to get together on it. You know, he's had a lot on his, you never know. Maybe someday in the future. We'll there's only so many, that would be there are only fantastic. so many hours in the day. So many hours. In Boy, the day, that's the right? I mean, it's just tough. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Wow. I uh, I love talking to you. I, I, there wasn't somebody after. I love us. talking We'd to you. Talk for another another twenty minutes, thirty minutes, or something. Just because I mean, we yeah. could always just talk about the urge in St. Louis too, or something. Which we could probably talk about the urge in St. Louis. <laughs> yes, we could probably sing their stuff without too many like copyright notices being broken. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's always a pleasure. It's it's always so fun. We we have to hang out again soon. I have to find a reason to get back we to the do. Midwest. We do, or maybe yeah. we'll get maybe we'll get over your way. Who knows? You know that would be phenomenal. But at some point, we are definitely going to collide again. Because yeah, you're you're a lot of fun. You're my people, man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, you're like my people, and you're like my Bon Jovi now too. So like, I'm just going <laughs> to hitch my star to your wagon. I'm just be like, hey. 
This book's got illustrations by Mickey Mueller, you know. Hey, you should buy it. Feel free, man. Uh, who cares who wrote the damn Who cares who wrote the damn thing? You just you just want the illustration. Come on, man. You know what? Don't say that. You're a hell of a writer. I love your work. And I get the honor of reading it before anybody else does. And that's because I get to illustrate it. So that's actually pretty pretty darn cool, man. And you know, I don't just say just the editor of Tathios Pagan, you are, so whatever, dude. You're nah. freaking awesome, too. <laughs> nah. We're the Mutual Admiration Society. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, one thing I've really found is that almost all the people who write and, and do stuff in the Pagan world, it's not a competition. We all want each other to it's do not. well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree it's so nice and refreshing. When I see anybody doing well, I'm I'm like proud of them. I'm like, yes. And because really, there's plenty. There's plenty for everybody to go around, you know. And it, it, there really is. There, and because, gosh knows, it's not like pagans are ever going to stop buying books. I know I'm not. Uh, <laughs> my no, bookshelves are like crying from the weight, and I still have more in boxes that I can't even find, and still buy more. So that's never going to end. So, you know, and there's always going to be more of us with something new to say. I had the pleasure of reading yeah. one of your new manuscripts, <laughs> and I must say, it's going to be a good one. <laughs> People are going to love it. I loved it. I, I don't know. I don't know. I think people are going to yell years, about that book. And it's going to be a great book. I've been practicing the craft for uh, 20 years, and I and I discussed all of those concepts that are in your book with. Raven Gramasi on the phone back in the day, and I still learned stuff from your book. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> How about that? I don't know. I'm just like, there are going to be people like, oh my God, I can't believe you said this in public. And then there will be people like, well, that's wrong because it doesn't work that way for me. I'm like, I'm just waiting for like the shit to hit the fan when that book comes out. But I'm very proud of it. I'm so excited. That's Transformative Witchcraft, which is released in January. Yeah of this year yeah. uh, or next year yeah. so 2019 mm-hmm. yeah so January we have to go because okay. uh, uh, yes we have to go because uh, Pamela is here and uh, her guest was just here and I think we probably scared them away by going long so uh, <laughs> Mickey Mueller you're, you're awesome uh, thanks for everybody for you're listening awesome. to Raise the Hearts Radio thank you Brought to you by Witch School. I feel like I have to get all that kind of stuff out. You can visit Mickey Mueller online where? If people want to find your work, Mickey, where can they go? Yes. Um, Yeah, (laughs) MickeyMuellerArt.com and uh, MickeyMuellerArt.blogspot.com. Excellent. That's important. You know, you got to get your, you got to get that kind of stuff in there. Okay, so I think I've yeah. gotten everything. I've thanked Witch School, I've talked to Pam, and I have let Mickey tell people where to find her stuff. All right, I'm all done. I've done my stuff. Okay. We're good. Did you really talk yeah. to me? It's been forever. Hi. I know, it really has. I have... Hi, Mickey. I didn't Hi, know you came from Albuquerque. We need to talk about that. I we lived in Albuquerque for a couple that. years. Oh, it's beautiful. Albuquerque is my hometown, girl. Hit me up on Facebook. I... Okay, I will do that. I will yeah. definitely do that. Yeah, and we'll talk. We'll talk. I would love to chat with you. We would, oh, my gosh. I talk about Albuquerque. That would be fantastic. <laughs> and all other good things, too. 
I was watching. I I, I watch Better Call Saul and I watch uh, uh, oh. Breaking Bad. Did you know Albuquerque's getting a Netflix uh, Netflix hub that they're going to start filming their stuff out of Albuquerque? Oh, that makes me so happy because I watched both of those series too, and I was like, oh, Blake Hamburgers. <gasps> <laughs> um, oh, what was the car wash? Right, and um, the car wash. Oh, oh yeah, the, the car central, wash. The central, the one on Central, right? Where the right one on Central? Uh, yeah, we used to go to that yeah. car wash. <laughs> you know, it was. I loved. It. I know. I drove my husband crazy because I was like, oh, I've been there. I've been to that pet store. You know. <laughs> I, and, and the the news place was Better Call Saul, uh, where he's selling the um, the cell phones. I'm like, yeah. I got my first cell phone there. That's <laughs> funny. See, that's it's after right my time because I'm, I moved from there in the 80s, so I I actually moved before the cell phones existed. So I missed that one, but um, yeah, it's really cool to see your old stomping ground on on a show like that. You know, you might know where I used to work. Um, do you remember Cool 102 FM? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I was a DJ on Cool 102 back when it was up at the, the balloon ground fiesta. Oh, that makes me so happy. Yeah, and I, did, I wouldn't have remembered it, but the minute you said Cool 102, I'm like, yes, Cool 102. <laughs> I do remember that. and. The balloon fiesta. It's nine o'clock in the right? land of enchantment, and you're listening to. Your... <laughs> I feel I feel like so I'm cool. intruding now upon a private conversation. <laughs> That's just how I feel. Uh, I know, I do too. I feel like I feel like I don't know. I can't, I want to give you your show back, but <laughs> but it's it's so neat <laughs> to talk to you. <laughs> oh yeah, I just we'll want Gabriella to know. I just wanted Gabriella hey. to know that I tried to close down. And uh, so this is all on those two, not me. That's why you're starting late. It's on. It's on them. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, well, Gabriella, I'm here. Hey, I'm Gabriella. here. Hi. Mickey, I'm a, Mickey Miller. If you don't know who who we're talking with, Jason Mankey and Mickey Miller. Of course I do know. Of course I. Okay. Of course. Okay, Hi, Gabriella. Good to, see, good to Hi. hear from you. I don't want to take up your time, though. I feel like a, a big jerk. I don't want to take up your time, darling. No, 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 no. Do the thing. Do the thing because, you know, I've got to watch. But it's such a pleasure. Yeah. It's such a pleasure to hear your voice. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Welcome. Well, to we're going to. I love him. I'm, I'm Jason. I'm so excited. <laughs> Mickey, Pammy, and Gabriella. We're going to be going all night talking about how much we like one another. I know. I feel like we're just going to have a big party. Yay. All the party. And no one that's, has to drive. There you go. But I, have, well, I have wine, ladies. So, yeah, that's happening. Wine. It's like, is there enough wine for us to do this interview? I don't know. I might not make it. I'll go get back out. <laughs> well, do you, have, do you have your whiskey, Jason? My, actually, my whiskey glass is now is empty um, at the end of oh, my show. I usually just pour myself enough for the hour and change. So it's, <laughs> it's very sad. Well, I'll tell you what. Very, I'll very start sad. a song. I'll start a song, and that way, that way we can all wrap up, if that's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do one that kind of fits with that. It's Waiting for John Barleycorn from Bad River Mining Company. You're still <laughs> waiting. I never wait. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
living in your head The world is such a mess Are you so blind you cannot see Open up your eyes It's time to realize That what you fantasize Is causing our polarity When I was just A boy of 21 I thought I was too young To change the world around me I'm older now I've worked behind the plow Now that I know how I've decided to be free Looking out toward the light Coming to us from the other side Sound the galler horn When Valkyrie's in flight Everybody says That politics is dead Religion is at best Irresponsibility what they say and what they mean are totally different things. One protects the dream and the other authority. Send a message to the wise, self-addressed and personalized. Stand up and criticize for all humanity. We've got to recognize the truth they cannot hide. That somewhere down inside we're all longing to be free. Looking out toward the light Coming to us from the other side Sound the galler horn When Valkyrie's in
time since Jason and I have been like live on the air together I miss that and then we could you know we we talked forever uh off mic so you got a nice concert there of Bad River Bad River Mining Company uh formerly known as Murphy's Midnight Rounders that was we played um Waiting for John Barleycorn and played Be Free and then that was a really, I don't know if you've heard that one. That's the first time we've played it here on Pagans Tonight. Um, it's a, a song about Parkland. It's called Parkland. Uh, if you're wondering, am I hearing that right? Yeah. Brad from Murphy's Midnight Rounders, he and I, Murphy, Brad Murphy, he and I have talked in the past about, you know, being uh, being an activist and doing protest music and, and folk music. Yes. And if you go back to, yeah, if you go back to the... Welcome, by the way, to Gabby, Gabby Laughingbrook. Hi. Here. Hi, everybody. Hi. Um, Hi. But if you go back to, to pagan pagan music, like the history of pagan music in, in mm-hmm. like, the 60s and such, a lot of Always folk music. music. Mm-hmm. Pardon? What were you saying? Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's well, all resistance music. It's all exactly. protest. It's all critical thinking and critique of the dominant paradigm and how to subvert the dominant paradigm and, you know, how to do full strength you at no one else's convenience or inconvenience and do it unapologetically. And, you know, just listening for voices that are traditionally omitted and being the voice of where the hell are these voices and just doing that publicly and visibly, um, so that attention is drawn to who is strategically dropped from that conversation so that only what three, four, five strategic voices remain so that they can preserve the status quo. Well, yet no, because I've got a voice and a microphone and a guitar or some friend who's loaded and got tons of money. So yeah, let's move this thing along and make some changes. I could have said it any better. That's wow. I'm sitting well, here going, okay. Show's over, kids. We're done. Cough clap. Cough clap. Cough clap. Yes, uh, yes. I, I, you know, 
know, and that's uh, when you think about folk music of the '60s and '70s. That that is, they were um, a lot of protest songs. You know, you can't oh yeah do one without the other. Um, yeah. I mean, because you could play like some of the folk music, like you know, um, the traditional John Barleycorn. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, three men came out, rode out from the west. You know, the the whole thing that Traffic and Jethro Tull did a cover of too. Um, God, we're old. Cover, Man, it's we're a traditional old. tune. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> it's but like, it's good. Oh, what demographic are we talking to right now tonight? Because I mean, well, it's yeah. it's are good they- to be where where we're at because we. We have a a place to play in yes in, in being leaders and being you know I whenever I say stuff about being a crone people like think that I mean like an old dried up you know oh come here they, let me kiss you yes. with my gums like yes, no and they're you know they're expecting the cackle and the hooked nose and that whole no thing. I'm a woman yeah I'm I'm going to wear purple like Gogo Bardello says. So um, <laughs> great! Oh my gosh! I, I've been wearing I want purple to, since Purple Rain was put out back in eighty two, three, right? 80, uh, I think it was like eighty four, eighty five. My roommate gave me right, the, the album. So I can't I remember. remember Did you have the purple one? Did you have the purple one? Uh, no, I think it's just the regular. And see, this is back in the the days with records for everyone. Records are like CDs. Okay, CDs are like. <laughs> Pressed they're vinyl like kids, MP3. they're all round. They're round. Uh, they're they're like DVDs, okay? <laughs> but DVDs, seed, except uh, ours uses a needle and not a laser. <laughs> yeah, it's like bigger, wow. but the I'm hole stop in the talking, middle I'm just making it worse. How about I just, you might want to, let me put a friend on the line, because I might not be the person you would talk to. No, no, you're the person I want to talk to. You are exactly the person okay. I want to talk to. Um. All right. No, but but uh, we have a place because we were, you know, when you think about the '80s, and you think about what was our, what was our generation's yeah. like anthem about about women's lib, if you will, and that's Cindy Lauper. Girls just want to have fun. It because, yes, Pat Benatar was a fave because she's also very super tiny, like I am. So, yeah, I'm not uh, we are tiny. young. Love <laughs> is a battlefield. I loved her, and she could she she could blow yo. She had crazy pipes, and she had such strength, and the way that she sang was just huge. It was huge, you know. Well, and, and you know that's when women started coming out in in, uh, in rock music, like the late seventies, early eighties. You've got the Runaways, mm-hmm. uh, you mm-hmm. know, with with uh, Terry Joan Jett. Joan Jett, well, she was part um, of the Runaways. Yeah, Cherry. Blackheart. Yes. I'm trying to remember her name. The other one, the, the guy, that, the girl that was the um, the lead singer uh, for the the Runaways. Um, but Class. you know, you had the Bangles. You had it's Cherry, and it rhymes or or sounds. It goes with it. Remember. Cherie, well, Cherie, is it Cherie Curry? What? Cherie Curry. No. Are you sure? No. No. Well, see, and I grew up. Did I say it like I'm sure? (laughs) No, not at all. Not even slightly. So not convinced. But I grew up the youngest of four, and my eldest sister is born in 59, my brother in 63, my sister in 68, and me in 71. 
And so I had this gorgeously diversified household, and we had as much Debbie Harry as Chrissy Hind as um, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, and then we had Hart, which was oh yeah amazing. And then we had the whole new group. We had the um, you know the Pat Benatars and the Cindy Loppers for domestic voices of women, you know pissed and screaming about shit and then um then there was this whole british invasion of well, the punk had, um, scene patty smith i mean she patty was smith. a badass she was yeah badass. she was a badass she the gilda radner did a character it. she did a character yep. gilda radner did a character based after her based on her called candy candy slick so Candy Slick after know. Grace Slick. <laughs> well, actually, she was more based off of uh, Pat, Patty Smith, but it could be like Grace Slick. I mean, well, we even Smythe. we didn't. Mention... Yeah, no, we didn't. No, not Patty Smythe. There's Patty, Patty Smythe and there's Patty Smith. Patty Smith well, and get this: Patty Jefferson Starship and um, Grace Slick actually showed up. Of course, I've forgotten the name of the public office. When the Americans with Disability Act was signed and there was a uh, several weeks long occupation of this government building. Okay, so I'm drawing yeah. a blank on the damn town. But So when that happened and all of these folks who had uh, mental and physical um, uh, handicaps is what they were called back when you and I were young. Um, yeah. They occupied this building, and Jefferson Starship showed up and sat in with them. And is it? I'm, I'm looking like, because I think my my uh, I'm looking. What year was the Americans with Disability Act signed? Because they were there for that. Um, and I was. I'm tiny. looking. I don't remember. You're you're googling it. You're consulting the Oracle of Google. Yeah. Um, well, see, one of my friends that I went to high school with, she, her husband was was part right. of that. 1990. No. When the act. Is that right? Yeah. And I wasn't. Yes, the actual act. Because, but something else Go was ahead. signed when I was small in the early 70s, and musicians were all on board with that. I can't remember. It'll come back to me, of course, when the show's over, and I'll be like, oh, wait, wait, well, wait, guys. But what the the thing is is why are we talking about about all these you know trailblazing activists and music mm-hmm. musicians um, mm-hmm. because we were having this conversation off mic with with uh, with Jason and Mickey um, the we are less than four weeks away from the election right we are this is this is a this is the most important this is easy to, for me to say and i i am not a, not one for hyperbole this is the most important midterm election ever in the entire history of the united in states in the history of the united states i agree it is I there's agree. so much at stake um and yep. i'm i understand especially after last week i understand people getting weary. So if you're thinking about turning, okay, I'm going to shut Pam up right now because she's starting to talk politics again. If you're thinking about turning me off, then 
I can understand you feeling that way because we all got yeah. really numb with what happened last week. Depend it honestly, it doesn't matter which side of the argument right. you're on. Right. Everybody is feeling really jaded. And I can understand how men might feel attacked and vulnerable. I can. I'm gonna empathize with them. But I'm I'm gonna tell you right now, that's what they're playing at. They yeah. being the people who are trying yeah. to lead you a certain way. Yeah. Uh yeah. They, they want you to feel vulnerable. They sure. want women to not feel empowered. They yeah. want people to feel discouraged and numb about voting. They want people right. to think that there is no good choice out there. I got so angry mm-hmm. when they started saying how, you know, this whole thing with the Kavanaugh hearings was, was increasing the Republicans' chances to, of winning. And I was saying, no, the voices that you're hearing are the same voices. They're just exactly. being really loud right now. It's still the yes. same base. Right. The base is yes. not growing. It, it, you know. Um, but I don't think that <clears throat> a lot of people know that the last date for registering in the state of North Carolina is the uh, 12th or 13th. Which is, is it the 12th? No, it's the 12th. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the 12th. And it just it takes literally five minutes to register to vote. Um, if you live and then, in my county, you can come and I can I can I registered somebody today um, who wandered in who happens to be pagan. <laughs> She's never met her before. And I could, yeah, I got my pagan daughter on, and I'm like, hey, are you? I think. Well, and it was great because I my eldest. Um, she registered for the first time in the Hate Asbury district of, of <gasps> San Francisco. Yeah, and um, because I brought her into the the very first building of um, the human rights campaign, and I brought her in and I made her stand where Harvey Milk stood. And wow, she started she started to cry, and I said, "It is important that you stand here and you understand." what it means to give yourself over to insisting that we all be treated as citizens and valuable. And I hugged her and we started to walk out and the owners of the HRC chased me out. And one of them, his name was Corbin and he threw his arms around me and he kissed my face and he said, I want you to understand that I've waited 40 years to see someone parent their child the way that you parent her. Uh, and I was like, I was like, listen, Corbin, this is not authorized. I am feeling things right now, sir. That I don't need to be feeling. Um, but I just remember when, when Harvey said, you know, if a bullet goes through my head, let it go through and explode every closet door um, that exists uh, in this country. Because he knew well, that his contribution would be censorship of the grandest scale. And I told Neve, I said, you need to understand the history of struggle and how hard pagans have to go, you know, to, to Mm -hmm. live freely and to live in accordance with what we feel and know and see and hear. And it's, Mm -hmm. 
it's hard to fit ourselves into the boxes, the compartments of capitalist, this, this entire, I could swear so many swears right now. It would be impressive. <laughs> but this, this country right now is really, it's a hard place to remain controlled and centered and patient but, and diplomatic. But see, but see, that's their game. That's the thing. I know. Is okay for one, for one thing. You know, so many thoughts are going through my head that really need to be said and listened to and heard. So I'm going to try mm-hmm. to to not go with my usual squirrel. Um, but it is it is their game to keep us divided, to make us. You know, when they started doing it sure. with. Uh, you know, people come, come in to take your jobs. And they started attacking vulnerable sure. communities. They started attacking sure. uh, undocumented undocumented sure. people, undocumented immigrants. Then they right. they attack um, people of color. Uh, then yeah. they attack, you know, and, and they, they keep trying to divide non-English us. Non-English speakers. Oh, non-English, yeah. non-English speakers. On, but then when they're trying to separate men and women, I thought they're not going to be able to do this. But they... They seem to be doing it. Of course. It. Uh, of course. And, and that's why we but, have but to. Honestly, the only mm-hmm. sympathy I have is that this generation of men has to pay the cumulative price of mm-hmm. thousands of years of patriarchy and however many hundreds of years of patriarchy in this country. And it's legacy and where its tentacles lie um, in the formation and the future of this country. And those with power do not easily surrender it. Even if they have to watch. Absolutely. And they don't want to, even if they have to sacrifice their daughters, their mothers, their disabled children, their um, non-English speaking parents or grandparents. I mean, what horrifies me the most is the willingness of those in power to sacrifice um, those around them who identify in that um, targeted demographic, which, which means that places like the shop um, will always need to exist because people are pushed out of their own families if they threaten the power paradigm. And well, and that, that goes with, with what, you know, what, one of the things that we were talking about off mic is the, the number of people when, when one of us posts something political. Um, yes. As a pagan, as a leader, I haven't been doing much as a pagan leader. Uh, I'll be honest. I, I've been doing a lot of stuff more as like a, a feminist leader or as a, as a political leader, but, you know, recently since I've been here in North Carolina, I haven't really, other than doing this, this uh, stuff with the pagans tonight, I haven't really been doing much as a pagan leader. And I see right. people like you, I see people like Jason, uh, John Beckett, I see people post stuff about, you know, the, the importance of being involved politically and the importance of right. voting. And we're a, we're a community of, people who mostly are disenfranchised and yes. to be disenfranchised from politics and voting is the absolute most dangerous thing to do for us. We cannot yeah. do that. 
Because we, we that can't... is the only way that this federal level government um, still recognizes us. I mean, our registration number with the federal government is our social security number. Um, mm-hmm. We are just that number. And what's hysterical is that the middle three numbers of my social security number are 666, which means I was pretty much born to do this adversarial work and, you know, kind of stir the pot and disrupt the dominant paradigm and to completely flip people's stereotypes on their heads, you know, because they don't expect someone who's four foot ten to have a very loud political opinion. They don't expect, you know, <laughs> Uh, a woman to stand up in the middle of a doctor's office and advocate for her health needs, you know, because, you know, short, fat, I've got a a chair face, you know, woman actually stand up and have a brain and something to say, they, because that's part of it. And, and, you know, and you and I talk about our our health issues too, um, Mm -hmm. you know, with, with each other. um, But that's another thing where, where people don't have a voice and we the voice that they deserve exactly and i don't know you know and i don't know where that's one that you know our health is everybody has to worry about their health whether it's you or somebody in your family that's something that that they can't divide us go ahead the the fact is is that by the time people end up So we're talking about the feeling of being disenfranchised, right, and not belonging anywhere. Because Mm -hmm. by the time you end up at the shop or by the time you end up at some, um, you know, candlelight vigil because someone else got shot for walking while black or got um, killed at a protest because someone drove their car through the protest, by the time people end up with me or anyone else, of a p- political like rebel base type status, they have already right. lost everything they can lose. They have lost their parents. They have um, been told, no, you can't marry that person because you have to be Orthodox this or you have to convert. And so you have to give up the last vestiges of who you are as a spiritual person. So it's a rowdy bunch that is really entrenched in our spirituality because everything else that we thought we could count on is true and trustworthy and reliable proves not to be. So all we have is ourselves and our voices. And, you know, I broke every one of this expectation that I should be demure and conservative (laughs) and my come on. I'm constantly spouting my political views you know, on my personal yeah. page, but enough of it ends up on my business page whereby I say things like, I don't care how you vote. I care that you vote. Because when you pull back from the system of the, the dominant paradigm, the empowered folks, when you pull back and don't participate, then they leave themselves the only party to their own process. There is no alternate process yet. We don't well, have. Well, I see two, two things when you're talking about that. You know, we talk about 45 in his base and how he keeps right. appealing to his base. And when you think about how big his base is, it's only like about, you know, 30, 
25, 30% of, of right. the people. But 20 or 35% of the people who show up all the time to vote, yep. they understand the power of their vote. Well, Politicians understand that, the power yeah. of catering to them. Go well, ahead. not just that, Pam, because understand that the the base that they are catering to, um, that 25-35% has a value system of conformity. So right. if you've got a head of household that is hardcore, hardline, you know, conservative politics, conservative family values, they have what, maybe one, two more generations down that's of votable age, maybe, who feels compelled to vote exactly the same way because those families and that demographic's culture is one of closing ranks, conformity. I don't dare disapp- you know, disappoint grandma and grandpa well, and because I won't get that inheritance or I won't be accepted to the Citadel or whatever. And so they I'll have to conform to the the game. Do it. I'll go a little bit further with that. The, the the people who elected Trump and who keep him in power are the evangelicals. Right. <laughs> um, That's and, it. And yeah. I'm not talking about about you know I'm not talking I'm not trying to stir up this this pagan Christian pagan versus Christian thing. I'm not talking about Christians uh-huh. as a general. I'm talking about a specific type right. who don't care. You know, I, right. uh, who don't care that he has, he had sex with a, a, um, a porn actress. They don't care because right. they say like, well, he was trying to pay her off to protect his wife. I'm like, uh, excuse me, oh. not having sex with yeah, a hello. porn. Yeah, hello. Stop him from, you know, having every single, I mean, be, well, in protecting her, hello, she was home nursing their child when he right. was having these affairs. He was not concerned right. about protecting her. He wasn't even concerned see, about they, being at the damn hospital. They have they have they have an agenda and, and oh, that is it should be very scary to us. Their agenda is to to make this nation a Christian nation. And I'm not talking at a turn. You can find right. this stuff. You know, I'm sure oh, most of us know people like this, uh, and of that's course. the people who we're disenfranchised from, and right. that we have to be very, we have to vote because they vote, and they vote as a block mm-hmm. because they're told mm-hmm. how to vote, and we're we're like, hey, you know, same way with our spirituality, we don't care how you vote, just you know, vote. But ah, I'm here to say that we have you. to do right. Right. But I'm yeah. here to say you have to do more than that, though, because mm-hmm. if you're if you're a, OK, let me take a step back, because remember, I said I had a whole bunch of stuff to unpack. And this is something else to unpack. If our vote wasn't so important, they wouldn't be working so hard to not sure. let us have that. Sure. That, that sure. And there's a lot that they're trying to do to stop people from being able to vote. We live, of course. Gabby and I live in North Carolina. North Carolina, we are heading to our fourth election right. that is un, uh, under unconstitutional districts, unconstitutionally drawn districts. The fourth election. Exactly. Um, exactly. And I'm not talking primaries. I'm talking about elections. 
Right. Uh, the first mm-hmm. two, the, there, there were some that were drawn based on trying to dis, disenfranchise people of color from having any power. Right. When they came down and said, okay, you can't do that, then they went and said, okay, well, we're going to draw them on partisan lines. And mm-hmm. that was found unconstitutional by federal judges. Mm-hmm. This is not my opinion. Mm-hmm. This is, mm-hmm. I can, if anyone wants me to, I can post the judgment, you know, the, the decision from the judges so you can read it yourself. You probably should, so, just as a matter of course. But it, yeah. it, they're unconstitutional. <laughs> Um, and mm-hmm. of course, our our state government is is going to fight it and try to bring it to the Supreme right. Court, which is why who's on the Supreme Court is so important exactly. because exactly. you know it may end up being overturned by, by the time, the time it, gets it there. ends up there. You got to know that it there's may, somebody there who's going to pull that out and make that happen for them. But I think part the dynamic of why we have to pan- Go ahead. well and see here's here's the problem. It is the the converse of conformity, okay? So if we look at this conservative values, Christian or Republican or what have you, as much as conformity is a anchor, a pillar of Christian conservatism, the flip side of that is that paganism is where they're sheeple, we are goats. Right, so trying to get right. pagans on the same page about who to vote for is like herding kittens that have had coffee. So but it, you can't I'm not gonna get pagans to to vote the same way. You can't get them to have the same opinions. And so many are like, I'm disgusted with this whole process and this structure. I'm not going to participate with it because I'm too busy deconstructing it. And I see that no matter how I participate, it's leveraged to fail me. Right. And that's the thing. That's what we have to try to, that's why we have to educate people. And I think you said it earlier when you were talking about pagans, you actually, in my opinion, described the, um, the, the millennials to a T because millennials, Mm -hmm. We, we, our generation expects from the millennials the same thing that the that our elders expected from us, and that's unrealistic. Unrealistic. The millennials do not live in the same world that we. When I was in my twenties, they do not right. have. You know, they're crippled with with a uh, with student mm-hmm. debt. They have they have mm-hmm. to worry about whether they're going to get taken care of uh, with their medical issues. You know, mm-hmm. without breaking the bank, without putting them in bankruptcy. Um, sure. They, and you said that these things that we expected mm-hmm. to these, mm-hmm. uh, there's a word, and I hate when it escapes me, but these pillars, if for lack of a better word, that we expected mm-hmm. to, to last, mm-hmm. these, um, these things that we depend on are not mm-hmm. there for our children right. and for the, the, right. the twenties, you know, the millennials and the generation yep. uh, after the millennials. And so why should yep. they expect that voting will produce, you know, when, when we have a reality show star as our mm-hmm. president, um, yeah. why should they expect? Yeah. Why should they expect their involvement to do anything? And that's what we, we have to try to 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 reach out and 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 let people know, and especially when you're talking about um, it. I just lost it, and it's so important. 
what were you just talking about? You're talking about disenfranchisement and, and trying to get people I was to, talking uh, about conformity versus free people right. and independent. I mean, we, as a cornerstone of paganism, um, we respect each individual pagan and or witch or mage or occultist to know best what spiritual form, spirituality suits their world, how they understand themselves, their circumstances, how they were raised. So each uh-huh. one of us, because we're ousted from our families, we have to choose, okay, what what is the format of spirituality that feeds me, but it also respects my upbringing, the way I order my thoughts, maybe I'm more mathematical, maybe I'm more ceremonial. So I'm going to go towards a hermetic OTO, you know, Freemasonry, you know, Telema type stuff. But then you have people like me who are like latchkey kids, you know, had mm-hmm. to cook for myself or make peanut butter sandwiches at home. And so I'm going to do some off the cuff jazz magic type hedge witchcraft right. and so we, we customize and tailor our experience of the world and we give ourselves support systems and pillars of fortification that we know will feed us when we don't have the money to feed ourselves physically when we don't have the money to get ourselves health care we at least have something that fits feels right and is respectful of who we are as independent free people choosing what orders our life so here we are, this herd of caffeinated kittens trying to agree on who we want to put in the ring with this bastion of hetero white male normative affluence and grapple with the patriarchy. And so right. once upon a time, it was the Green Party, and here I am voting for Ralph Nader and Winona LaDuke. Do you remember that? Yeah. It must have been two thousand. Was that two thousand or nineteen? I think there was some nineties. Yeah, and I, that he was. was uh, wasn't he? Didn't people oh, I know blame? Yeah. Uh, I think some people blamed Bush, the first Bush. I'm trying to Something. remember. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it, it's it's well, community we had... versus independent critical thinking, and then it's, um, you know, sheeple versus goats. We don't, the upstanding pillar, the structure, the foundation of who we are as pagan people is our individual right to customize our lives respective of our own authority on what our circumstances are. And I but think we have that's to. why, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your, no. your thought. Well, I was going to say, we have to understand that as much as we want things to be the way that we want them, when it comes to politics, it's not that way. And there are different rules. There are things that we have to, and and I know people are probably yelling like, no, heck no, I don't have to do that. But if you want to affect change, you have, it's, it's not, it's a long haul. You have to go for a long game when you're talking politics. So so I'm going to give a, and you know as well as I do, people really 
respond when you tell a personal story because they can point at that and go, you know what, that's exactly analogous to my situation. So once upon a time in a place called the early 90s, um, I was in graduate school and I was getting um, a master's degree in social justice education. So I am that OG warrior type. And <laughs> I was I was trained to do troubleshooting and problem solving for institutions that systematically marginalize certain demographics of people. And I loved it. And so I worked in corporate environments. I worked in school systems. And I moved to North Carolina in 2002, started dabbled with, and it was a horrific experience, but profoundly valuable in terms of educating myself. I went to work for a local city government as a neighborhood organizer. So here I was being paid municipal dollars to be a grassroots organizer and to create, in effect, what I learned and realized later, better consumers of services provided by the dominant paradigm so that more automatons and dependent populations could be created. Now, as I'm sitting in my cubicle realizing they don't want me here to reform anything. They want me here to be their universal translator. They want me here to be the person who can speak goatish and, you know, and bring sheeple values into neighborhoods and populations of people who are disenfranchised, not being served, cast off as unwanted, unseen, invisible, and problematic. And I sat there at the tender age of 30 thinking to myself, okay, do I want to make a change from within the pathology of this paradigm? Or do I want to abandon this paradigm and make change from outside of it? And what I arrived at is that both have to happen. As exactly. When we, according to when we are able to withstand one side or the other. Because what ended up happening, Pam, was that one year I'd be inside the pathology, gathering intel, bringing it back to the rebel base and saying, look, guys, this is how they're doing this shit. And this is how we need to affect some changes and make some changes. On the flip side, there's folks that are on the outside that have to be the visible, you know, the, the spokesperson for the group. They have to be a charismatic and compelling leader that says, we are not going to participate with your corrupt system and your power paradigm. We're going to operate outside of that, and we are strong, and we are visible, and we are vocal, and we're right up out front, and you're not going to back me down. And so I knew for me but, that but I in order to, when... But Go in ahead. order to do that, to be that charismatic person, you still have to, in some instances, play the game that, that is the dominant game. You, you have to in, in order to, to affect change. And I think, I don't know, well, hopefully we're not losing people with this. And like, say you no, want no, no. to run for office. No, the, the assumption that we're losing people, please know also, Pammy, that that is something entrenched by them into us, thinking that if we speak out or say something too edgy, 
we're going to lose our own support. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to recruit the centrists, you know, because I have my little witchcraft shop out on, you know, Main Street, small town USA. People mm-hmm. talk about, well, aren't you afraid that? No, I'm not actually, because no one serves my demographic. No one serves my people. No one speaks for my people. No one advocates for my people. So I'm going to do it because there's such a huge number of people not being visible, vocal, served, acknowledged. I'm going to do right. it because I've got an endless supply of people who need my voice. Now, of course, I get called Napoleonic because I'm four foot ten and I'm the loudest <laughs> thing in the pagan community. Um, and I'm happy to use my platform to do that. But there are others, Pam, that need to hear what we're saying and that we are unwilling to compromise. But I think what's well, important about being on well, both sides try- of the fence. Go ahead. Let me let me just you finish this because if I don't finish it, it will leave me and I will never shake hands with that thought again. Um, okay. It's about tact and tactic, right? So my yes. mother would say, Gabriella, it is not more important to be right. It's more important to be right at the right time. And for yes. years I didn't understand what the hell she meant. And what she was saying was that honesty is huge. And speaking about real suffering and real experience is a big deal. But what's a bigger deal is where and when you choose to say it. If you say it in a context where you're hurting everyone, you have just shut down a room full of listeners who may or may not feel compelled or be able to relate with what you're saying. If you're more strategic and thoughtful about what it is you're sharing and where you're sharing it and when you're sharing it, it is a powerful catalyst or taking those people who are weary, like we've been talking about, don't want to vote, and mobilizing them. So it's not always going to be the recruitment of the centrists, but rather the bolstering of the core of our people who resent the way we're being treated, but would they need some wind beneath their leathery bat wings, because this isn't white feathered stuff we're talking about when we're talking about pagans. (laughs) They need to no, know no, no. that being angry is appropriate. Being vocal is appropriate. Yes. There is a time yes. when you've suffered too goddamn much and you need to say, no, this is unacceptable. I'm not going to play the game. I'm going to tell you you're wrong. I'm going to tell you you're hurting my people. I'm going to say that you are neglecting whole populations. And I'm going to use yes. it with a big fat education and a megaphone. And yes. I'm going to be right at the right times in the right places. And then all the rest of the time, I'm going to be raw ass as hell and home with my friends just venting. Well, and you, you think go. about, you think about, um, you think about the, the political parties and what I was saying about how one party has a very solid agenda and mm-hmm. a very solid base. We talk about the base. Um Right. We are the party of misfits. Well, me personally, I'm not. I'm not affiliating you with the party, but I, I do work well, we, with the Democrat. Now, as a right, let me go ahead and finish this thought. As a Democrat, yep. do I agree with everything that the Democrats are for? No. Do mm-hmm. I agree with every single uh, candidate we have out there? No. 
but right. we have to play we have to play the long game again and there's different rules depending on which level you're at um sure we we talked about uh, off mic about third parties and and I've got like a long a long list to unpack here when you're talking third right. parties i am all for a third or fourth party having some power mm-hmm. but you've mm-hmm. got to do it You've got to do it in a way where you can affect that change. You're better off than rather than voting for Ralph Nader, you're better off trying to find maybe a libertarian or green party or that's going to run for, you know, a green party would be so perfect for the soil and, uh, and the water soil. Board. Well, Boom. well, if science existed, if science existed, that could be true. But Pam, we both yeah. know science doesn't exist. But, but you can not run, you know, usually, Right now, the Soil and Water Conservation Board guy that's running in our county seems to have been there forever. So if somebody who was interested in taking that, that that was a pagan, you know, that actually cares about soil and water conservation, you put your name on the ballot. And, you know, if you want to put like a a Green Party or Libertarian or something else after it, you can. Go ahead. Here's here's. I, this is the the furisaz. So this is the thorn that has been sticking in my brain, right? So it's the awareness, the awakening. I literally, when I saw Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talking about yeah. socialist democracy, yeah. I wept because I had been waiting for yeah. this to happen. Because to to even mention the Green Party and the Ralph Nader, you know, one owner Ledoux ticket is to date ourselves. And the fact is what social justice, the movement, whether you call it um, civil rights or social justice, it's the same movement, which is to respect the individual's choice to live in accordance with what that individual sees fit to do, not with society's conventions. So where they do have a solid base, Democrats do, Republicans do. Pagans don't fit in that square hole. They're round pegs. So what we have a solid base of is chaos. So the party that we would need to have would have to be solid, chaotic, magic. And what is that if it's not socialist democracy where we we make sure that every person's needs in terms of food, shelter, housing, access to education, and health care is addressed. At the same time, we respect the individual's right to choose for themselves which or if any of these services they will use. Do you see what I'm saying? So we have yeah. to speak to the diversity, the wild, erratic, constantly dynamic and evolving identity of the pagan with something that is structured to fit our constantly changing key code. Well, Do you know what I'm saying? But see, but see, here's here's how the long game comes in. Okay. Right. Um, I am. I was a Bernie person. Okay. And we all. Right. I, there's tons and tons of pagans who love Bernie, and tons and tons of millennials who like Bernie. He's a democratic socialist. Okay. Right. Now. Right. A lot of people, when he was running with the primaries and everything, he was getting a lot of momentum. His sparrow that landed on the 
on the I don't know about you, but I thought, whoa, when it the when it landed on the podium, that was amazing. Right. That was like pagan and pagan candidate like, oh, right it's there. A sign. It's a sign. Um, but but there was some there were some questionable things that happened and he well, didn't get he well let let me finish the, that. he didn't get the go ahead, he it, didn't it, get the he didn't get the nomination but the questionable things right. there were some things that were within the rules uh that right. and and those have been those have been started to be changed now so yes, yes we didn't get it then but things are starting to change now. And then there were some things mm-hmm. that were questionable, but those are now in the light where people are seeing that. And also, yeah. we wouldn't have Angelo, Angelo, Angela Ocasio-Cortez if it wasn't Alexandria. for Bernie. Alexandria, well, I'm sorry. I had a friend named Angie Ocasio. I keep on doing that. I keep making her <laughs> the candidate. Angie, well, if wherever you are, wherever you, you are, for, you know, who you think you should be president. Yes. What do you think? You want to throw your hat in the ring? Uh, um, sure, Angie, wherever you are. She likes to Bernie watch. Remember. Has, Bernie, Bernie has... God, all I can think is walking out of the bathroom of a restaurant with toilet paper like stuck to the heel of your shoe. <laughs> Bernie, Bernie has toilet paper stuck to the bottom of his shoe. He's, he's old. He has a history... He is, while he's relevant now in this generation's needs and approach, he's got a history that can be condemned, pulled apart, dissected, and that's what hurt him. So it's people like Alexandria who need to come forward and say, look, I know all of that. No, I may not have the the field training that Bernie does because Bernie's been in it for decades. I'm actually convinced he's like 20 years older than he says he is, but he's just like hanging on to make that last revolution happen, you know. But it needs to be a brand new face. It needs to be chaotic and unexpected. It needs to be a 35-year-old Latina who walks in and says, I'm about to JFK this bullshit right here because that boy was an Irish Catholic from, you know, Barnstable, Massachusetts. And I am this beautiful, bilingual, adversarial, can't shake me, vocal Latina, and I'm going to bring that shit to you bilingually. How do you like me now? So yeah. it's got to look like that to be relevant with the people who are like, no, I'm not going to vote. I'm not really mo- – who is Barney? Some will know, some won't. But Alexandria, she will reach the people who are like, nah, I don't want that any of that that even looks remotely like white male privilege. I don't want it. But see, here's, you show here's me the something problem different. that we have to understand when we're dealing with this, when we're dealing with all of this. Part of the reason that Bernie didn't didn't succeed where people don't understand the game. It is a game. I'm sorry whether you like it or not. The rules have already been established, but we can change it. We can change it. Bernie was an independent. He was not a Democrat. He had to to, uh, affiliate as a Democrat in order to run as a Democrat. Well, the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party gets, gets money, just like the Republicans, they get money right. in order to run candidates. 
And all good sure. Democrats give their money to the party to have good Democrats win. Well, when you have this right. coattail guy who's been voting Democrat, yeah. but he hasn't right. been, uh, he hasn't been giving his money. People haven't been, you know, and, and it's great that we, the people who liked Bernie, you know, gave money to his party. So we didn't have to depend on it. It still mm-hmm. upsets the status quo. It's mm-hmm. that the, a lot of people who are, who are, are very hardcore Democrat uh, party people, establishment mm-hmm. people are, are upset, not only because of what he's saying and that right. he's, he's so popular, um, but mm-hmm. because they're saying, well, if we run him, we're going to give money to him and he didn't earn it. And that's something that people don't get in, in again, right. the game. And they're going to say the same right. thing about Alexandria. They already are, you know, because mm-hmm. she is, she is from the outside. Um, mm-hmm. I've been, you know, raised in Europe where socialism is not a bad word and it never should be. Right. There's right. a lot of socialistic countries that are our friends right. that we admire. <laughs> so right. this is not a bad thing. Uh, yeah, but for some no, reason, no. we've been, it's been said to us that, that it's horrible. And, and they say things like, well, how are you going to pay for, for medical? How are you going to pay for everybody mm-hmm. to go, go to school? And people act like you're asking, you know, for a, a genie to come out and grant you this wish of a mm-hmm. pile of money, but this pile of money mm-hmm. is being being taken from all these other places to pay for things like uh, our military, to pay for things like I, this tax cut. <laughs> see, but I don't, I don't necessarily believe that that's entirely true. I think that the dominant paradigm has created created this mythos of scarcity. Like we've got this finite bag of funds yeah. that we can only yeah. this goes here and this goes here. It's a fraud, man. It is a lie. And they want yeah. to promote this scarcity because fear begets dependence. And if you have a group of people who are wild and chaotic, unpredictable and mouthy, whose magic resides equally in women practitioners as men practitioners, there's, there's an opportunity for appeal. And if these people are forced out of their families anyway, then they're going to take their money. I mean, I think really effort needs to be made to, you know, just pull the wool off of people's eyes and say, look, 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 there's plenty of money out there. We just need to get organized. We need to, have real conversations about who's got the money to make us participate on a level where we can be who we are authentically and, and like honestly and get it funded because there are enough people like there's this mass exodus and people are just running from both parties but because I think you're not understanding what I'm saying is they're going to use, I think you, you're not understanding what I'm saying is they're going to use the money against, they can use the money against you. They can use they're that same money to, that's supposed no, to no, be no. Help, helping their party. No, is, I you understand know, you can, that. Yeah. What I'm saying that's, is to expect it. Yeah. If they expect that, then they can fund 
this movement or fund this upheaval or this revolution adequately if they plan to, you know, be entrenched in this bitter battle, then they've got to make, they've got to account for, look, they're going to use their millions and millions of dollars to destroy you. So I have an idea. Yeah, let's, let's have the idea. idea. The idea is all of us need to go and get hired by whoever's hiring all these protesters. (laughs) And save all our money that way. Yeah, can I get hired? Or what? What are they calling them? Just uh, yeah, like crisis actors. Is that what they call them? One of them. Yeah. Good. All the... I could. I could do that in my sleep. I can crisis yeah, all whatever. day. It's really convincing. Yeah. Very, very, <laughs> very clear. Making it very clear here. It's sarcasm, in case people are not getting it. That's sarcasm. Oh, well, I, yeah. I would okay, love sorry, to. Everybody. I'm originally from Massachusetts, so sarcasm is my native language. Uh, when it's not vernacular, swearing f bombs and saying wicked pissa. So, so being from Mass. Sorry, yeah. there it is. You know. Yeah, I I um, I just wanted to make sure people understand that this is sarcasm because people actually believe that that you know women are so upset that oh they're not upset they're getting paid to be upset. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so, Jim. It gets a little. It, um, it, it gets a little twisty in the brain, doesn't it? It gets a little twisty there. Yeah. Well, it's that's part of why this is such an important. This is this is a very important election. And it is. This is where you you have to go for the, again back to the long game. It's not it's not enough just to vote, honestly. You have to get other people out to vote. And you, you brought up a very important thing about disenfranchised populations. Disenfranchised yep. populations don't feel that their vote is going to do any good. But when you understand that my vote means the mm-hmm. same as 45 mm-hmm. votes, mm-hmm. my vote means mm-hmm. the same as this gov- the governor of my state. We're all mm-hmm. equal here. And all these people that, that, that want to go on the news and everything that some people in our in our country say these are our leaders. No, these are our employees. They work Here, for us. And if we don't like well, them, we need to get rid of them and get new the ones. And the, yank the leash and yeah. I and agree. the only way we're gonna do that is if we if we go out and and vote and participate because you need to to go and tell your friends look we all need to to step up we all need to vote and uh and i don't well, look at what's care going on what you vote i care that you vote and if well, the I damage comes from not voting <laughs> go, no i do too but what i'm saying is yeah. just, just get if you're registered to vote I'm going to allow for the possibility that right before you walk in there to cast your vote for conservative politics that continue to exclude entire populations of people and affords a very specific demographic all the privilege they can stand, then walk in there and vote because there's no damage in voting. There's damage in not voting. So there you go. if you put if you could vote or if you couldn't vote, just go in and vote. Say what you've got to say. Mobilize for the person that you feel compelled by. 
It can't be blind trust because pagans don't work that way. Compel me. I want to be able to relate on an environmental level or on a feministic level or whatever. We have so much distrust. We have so much distrust as a community that I think we're waiting for. And I, I, I don't, I, I'm not arguing that point, but we, we, we tend to think that everyone's going to let us down. And so why should I vote for that person? Because, because they don't, you know, they're, they don't have everything checked. And, well, and this my approach why? to that, and it's called the, it's called the, why would I bother? Mm-hmm. Why would I bother? I'm so exhausted. I'm so weary. I don't have the energy to play this little game, walk in, flip the switch, vote for somebody, you know, clap, you know, touch the tap, the tap screen. They're like, why would I, why would I bother to do that? Well, the way that you reconcile this is because at the end of the day, you need to be able to look at yourself and these other critics and say, see, you didn't participate in the process. Well, if you can look at yourself at the end of the day and say, you know what? I did participate. I did do it the way I was asked to do it. I did cast my vote and still nothing changed. Then you have a credibility and a ground to stand on for saying, we did it that way. We did it according to the rules, and now we have legitimate documented reason why we have to abandon the process because the process is screwed. But we can't well, but say see, that if we don't participate. North Carolina is the perfect example of that because North, North Carolina, Carolina, North Carolina with all the gerrymandering, with all the gerrymandering, and I, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to quote a range. <laughs> That is not exact. You can look it up, but I'm close. So out of all the people who voted in North Carolina, like 57% were Republican mm-hmm. and 43% or so voted Democrat. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's out of all the people who voted, 13 districts, uh, congressional mm-hmm. districts. So, so based on who voted, you would think mathematically we would have about seven Republican representatives and six Democrat. You know, if it was if it was equitably uh, right. distributed. Yes. But yeah. we have three Democrats and ten Republicans because mm-hmm. of how badly it's gerrymandered, which is mm-hmm. why. And I'm going back to why it's important to get other people out to vote. There are places mm-hmm. where the rules have been changed and they're stacked against you, which is why it's so important to make sure other people are going. That's why it's important to volunteer. That's why it's important mm-hmm. to make sure your friends are going out to vote because they're trying their very best to, to quash our voices. They're, they're closing uh, polling locations in areas of town that are predominantly African-American. They're, they're closing right. them early. They're, uh, dumping people from the rolls. So if you think that you're you're already registered and we're talking in North Carolina, every state's different. In North Carolina you have till Friday to register and you think you're already registered, do not take that for granted. Go to right. your uh, <clears throat> state secretary of state uh the website and you can check it. It's on the right. internet. If you're North you can 
you're North Carolina, you can reach out to me and I'll do it for you. But I can probably find that website for any state if you want, if you want to still reach out to me. You have to, 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 uh, to get involved. And if we don't get involved, then we don't have a choice. And who makes those rules about who you can marry, who you can love, what bathroom you can use, uh, whether right. or not you're going to be able to, to pay for your school or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether you can your pre-existing conditions, we have pre-existing conditions. Uh, whether those are still going to be covered under the same uh, the promises that the ACA gave us. That's like one of the best things that came out of the ACA. And I'll tell you right now, I am not a huge cheerleader for the ACA. There's a lot of problems with it, but it's right. a lot better than it was before. And that's what I'm talking but about: she- the long game. But Go ahead. The long the long game is more possible for those pagans who were not as severely burned by this system. And by that I'm saying when you abandon this societal structure that basically spit on you, shat on you told you that you are worthless and unvalued and evil and wicked there's there's not a lot of margin for just give it another try buddy it's not like that you don't you don't get to enjoy that type of that type See, of I, rationale I, to people I disagree but, with you so, in, that, in that respect I only know. because we're all different and I am but, the opposite when you tell me I can't do something that's why I'm. That's why I'm. That's why I'm affiliating with the Democrats, is because no, I know. I, get, I, I get that, but what I'm saying right. is, the way that you catch those people is to capitalize on what pagans do best, and that's civil unrest. It's resistance. Yes. It's self determinism, and you will not take me. So it's like the the song of. Um, of of the pagan people should really be, you know, the Dylan Thomas, you know, do not go gentle into that good night, rage against it. Yeah. And it's, if you want to motivate and emblazon a fire, it requires you to step in, participate in this patriarchal bipartisan bullshit, cast your vote, then walk away and keep on working on the system that we would have replaced that piece of shit system. So and, and let me go ahead and, and say this real quick. When you're talking, when, when we're, both parties are being cast as they're the same. And that is so untrue. The game not the has to be played political. the same. I don't think it's, go ahead. I, I don't think that's what they're saying. I don't think they're saying that it's the same philosophically. They're saying it's equally corrupt, but in diverse ways. That's See, and saying. I still don't 100% agree with that. I think that here's here's my okay. This is where, if in case we haven't already gotten controversial, um, where's Al Franken? Oh yeah, now? no, not us. Definitely did not. Did Al me. Franken? Did Al Franken have any trial at all? Did Al Franken no. have a hearing? He asked for a hearing. Did Al Franken? No, he bought his way out of it. He bought his way out of it. He didn't buy mm-hmm. his way out of it. He got kicked. He, he, no, he, Al Franken did not buy his way out of it. Al Franken no. asked for, 
Al Franken asked for a hearing, and and he, they all called for his blood. Right, but he maybe not. He didn't do it monetarily, and he gave the impression of wanting to have a discourse about it. Yeah, he still the idea of discourse, real discourse, is never going to happen because it's not one of the tenets of the patriarchy. This isn't about what we can share with each other. The presumption there that we're equals, we're not equals. I am well, better than see, you, that's where, and my children where, are better than these other children, and we're not going to fund that. And, that's where Franken should have oh, had a hearing. Franken should have had a hearing because we needed to try to have that discourse. And we didn't. They weren't, our, but they weren't interested. They weren't interested in giving him a hearing. No, because they wanted to show how much better we are than they are by going ahead and, and pillaring one of our own that was accused without, but, <laughs> but so their own, that's what I'm saying, the difference between the parties. Their own, we had the, the sham of, of what we, we experienced last week. There was sure. no, everyone that says something about a hearing, there was no hearing. You know, the, the stuff in right. front of the Senate, that is, is uh, that's basically what a lot of people were saying, a job interview. It was not a hearing in a court of law. There was no real investigation. Uh, I'm sitting here glaring at my significant either. other. Sure. And it, but it, it wasn't a true job interview, but it was still not a court of law. But it was treated as no. if it were. It was treated right. like we're, we're to we're to, we're to to say, oh well, we don't have anything enough to prosecute this on. Well, you can't prosecute. You're the Senate. You're because, not the body they, that's supposed to do that. Because they lost perspective on what they were there to do. Because had they asked themselves, okay, this person has to have an even temperament. This person has to show respect um, to, you know, having an objective third-party view of what's coming in in terms of um, cases that they need to look at to establish um, new law and changes within the system. They stopped looking at it as an interview. Because if anybody had ever interviewed for a job anywhere, sat in and said, I'm sorry, Mr. Interviewer, have you ever blacked out when you got drunk? I mean, just the indignant and just the irreverent yeah. and the attacking you know what? mentality. You're gonna you don't, you don't yeah. when I get on the yeah. court, you're going to pay for this. Yeah. That's ridiculous. How dare you question my privilege? I mean, I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to do these things. I was wrong. Please stop. Yeah. You've already failed your interview. There is a better candidate that we're willing to wait for. They weren't they weren't willing to wait and they were going to take any piece of shit that came along and gave the majority and they took it. So no. This now, course the reason, in the patriarchy the reason, does not exist. The reason he was pushed, there's a lot of reasons he was pushed. For one reason, he is evangelical. Some of the, the crazy, crazy ass decisions he's made in the past uh, that were the, um, 
there was a a young undocumented woman who crossed the border. She was pregnant. Mm-hmm. She went to go get an abortion. She did everything that mm-hmm. she should be able to do. Um, right. But they were. She was a a a, a court. They they were u- holding her abortion up and trying to make it last as long as possible. Yeah. She so she couldn't be able to get it. But she finally right. was able to get it. But Kavanaugh was the dis- the dissenting uh, vote. vote against yes. her getting it. And he said that by allowing her to get it, it is creating a, quote, fast lane for, yes. for, for undocumented people to come to America to get abortions. Because everybody knows that, you know, it's so easy, you know, to get one. You just go down mm-hmm. the, the street corner and, phew, yeah, can I have one of those abortions? Uh, well, and he's also that, the same guy that said that contraception is synonymous with um, abortifacient. Yeah. And I'm um, like, and then, um, did you go to college or high school? Because I know that you partied because you had that 100 keg goal for yourself, <laughs> and A plus on the whole calendar thing, you ass hat. But <laughs> can we talk about the difference between contraception, meaning never conceived, and abortifacient? which means to terminate a pregnancy because those are completely different words. They mean different things. He's creating, he's bringing from his religious background, his willingness to color impartial law, bipartisan law with his own personal experience of spirituality. Um, can we talk about separation of church and state? Can we talk about this is a secular form of government. It is not a religious form of government. What well, the magical hell is going on? Well, and that's one of the things, too. One of the other things that, that the reason that they wanted him on is because of his writings about how you can't subpoena uh, a sitting president, you know, and basically giving uh, oh, giving course. whoever is the executive uh, in the executive branch uh, carte blanche to do whatever, like what he was bragging about. I could go to Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody right now and they won't do anything. Right. Well, to make that right. an actual reality, that's one of the things that, that he, uh, Kavanaugh has written about. And then one thing that's also really scary is uh, Orrin Hatch filed an amicus brief on September 11th uh, mm-hmm. for it's like out of my, I, I'm trying to remember the name of the case, but it, the case is uh, trying to get away with the dual sovereignty of federal, uh, federal sovereign, sovereign states. Yeah. To, to divorce yeah. Um, states, if sovereign you, if, if, ability if, to decide. Yeah. Well, what, what, no, it's, 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 uh, it's with, it's basically, they're saying it's unconstitutional. Uh, for me to file federal weapons charges against you as a federal mm-hmm. law enforcement agency mm-hmm. and the state to or local be to able file to exercise yeah yeah the same to do he's the same to, the thing right what because the, what he's wanting to do is a go ahead go ahead well what he's trying no, to you, do is eliminate the states as individual autonomous seats of power. Because he wants no. to be able to railroad the federal level process and then eliminate any type of contention, any type of undermining, any type of resistance, any type of visible opposition to his uniform law, his uniform rule. If he can, I think we're getting different things out of this. Away from, 
Well, probably I, what, what I'm talking so. about is what I'm talking about is is double jeopardy. It's like if I file yes. charges against you, and what that's what I'm saying. What they're trying to do is that's take what, away. If I filed right now, if I'm Robert Mueller and I file federal charges against you to prosecute you on mm-hmm. something, blah 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 blah, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. and then here I am, 45, and I pardon you. And you say, well, it's okay. Mm-hmm. We get, we can file state charges. They're trying to take That's away exactly that. That's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly okay, what I'm so saying. We're saying. What I'm saying thing. is, okay. Yes, we are. What I'm saying is that he wants to silence state level autonomy. You don't get to be autonomous in a dictatorship. You don't get to have 50 different decisions. Be like, okay, well, at the federal level, they may not have wanted to do this, but I'm going to go ahead and prosecute this fool. Because Trump wants to have his last word. He wants to say, no, we've federally indicted these people. I'm going to pardon them all. And no, you can't have a difference of opinion and go ahead and prosecute anyway, because I've already told you what I want you to think. I want you to respect the fact that I pardoned these people. No more conversation about it. Go to your room and don't come down until tomorrow and you apologize. No, it's because he's Uh, guilty as hell. And he's trying not to get himself caught up in this. So if he has the bargaining chip of, you know, if you keep yourself quiet, if you if you don't snitch, then I'll pardon you. Uh, but when they say, okay, well, fine, pardon them, we'll we'll start we'll charge them at a state level. That's why, right. if if anything, you know, we're not supposed to say that that's one no. of the main reasons why you need to vote this election. But that's one of the main reasons you need to vote this election is is right is. now. If there's an it impeachment, is. it has to start in the House of Representatives. And the House of Representatives are pretty much a done deal. It's going to turn blue. The House of Representatives <sighs> will turn blue. So that way we can will. start the impeachment process. But if we still Absolutely. have the Senate like we do, we're not going to be able to to follow through with the impeachment, especially with the way that the Senate was working this last, you know, with Kavanaugh. They don't care about justice. Right. They care about no. grandstanding, and both parties are guilty of grandstanding. And they did it. They did it spectacularly, and everyone is disgusted with that process. But I think the thing that pagans, which is occultists, mages—I mean, what we need to really concern ourselves with the people is how severely anaphylactically allergic we are anyone making our decisions for us. As pagan people, we need to be seriously disturbed if someone tries to silence us individually, silence us as a demographic of people, silence us at the state level. Because what this Mm -hmm. man is going for is uniform, martial law, dictatorship, heavily funded military, who cares about, you know, health insurance and education for our people, or even food, and water. Ask Flint, Michigan. This man wants ask to be able Puerto to Rico. put, right, ask Puerto Rico, ask the pipelines of oil Dabble, being used yeah. to carve our land apart. Pagan people need yeah. to be up in arms and say, look, if he's coming for people at a state level, at a city level, He's coming for you as an individual pagan, so you need to get fired up about that and say, oh, hell no. 
you don't speak for me. You don't speak for my people. You never represented us. You never had our interests at heart. You still haven't gotten those coal miners in West Virginia a damn job. And we <laughs> I'm still sorry. have I'm not laughing through. at that. I'm, I'm laughing you know at the stuff that was the opiates. Yes, we should be upset about that. And 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 I'm laughing not at the fact that coal miners in West Virginia don't have a job. That's a horrible, horrible thing. But they should be working on other things like you know clean clean energy type jobs. There's tons and a half of jobs that that is Pam, that science if we, doesn't that, exist. You keep, you keep yeah. talking about these things like the environment exists for this guy. It doesn't, and neither do That's we. That's why he, no. Colin Powell, he said it, Pam, when he said this man has turned we the people into me the president. Yes. That shit is real. Colin laid it down for everybody to see it. And that's exactly what pagans need to get worried about because we are a people who respect each other's right to decide and to choose. And that's inviolable. It's inalienable. And that's what we need to be looking at. That's also why you need to get involved too is when you get involved, you can make the, the changes in the party. I want to go ahead and give a, you gave a little bit of a, a background on you. So people know a little bit more about me. Did I? I was a single mother. Yeah. You were talking about you, you going for your master's degree and, and stuff like that. And not, not necessarily that you had um, some of the, uh, the experiences you had with, with trying to work as a community organizer. I, right. um, I was a single mom uh, I was raised in the military, which is a socialistic society. You know, if you're yep. if you're an airplane mechanic, or if you're a work in the dining facility or chow hall, or if you're a mm-hmm. medic mm-hmm. and your uh, your rank is E3, you're going to get paid the same across the board. So there's a lot of yep. socialism in, in within the military. I'm not saying that it's communist. I'm not saying anything negative. I'm talking about you know what socialism truly means. Um, mm-hmm. And if you want to discuss this with me, you're free to call in sometime or, or hit me up on Facebook. Um, but as a as a, a mother, I've had to go on food stamps. I've had to live in public housing. Sure. Sure. I've had to uh, you know go to school with grants and loans and uh, have Don't my kids go into uh, into child care that the state paid for part of. Um, There's some really screwed up rules out there. When I lived in South Dakota, if I wanted to work and, you know, I had money coming in from like uh, my jobs and from child support, uh, going to school, they weren't going to pay, subsidize my payment for child care. But if I went totally on what they call TANF, uh, yes. which is welfare, if I go totally yep. on welfare, they will pay for me to go to school. But the amount yes. of money you get on welfare was under $200 a month. And that's supposed to pay a for month. my rent. That's supposed to pay yep. for my rent. That's supposed to pay for my It's barely car better now. What is it now, like 350 bucks a month? No, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's not livable, and people are but it's better than yeah, no, they yeah. won't. They don't. And then, they and don't. then let's, let's 
see what, let's tell you, tell the real truth about this so everybody understands. Mm -hmm. The people who live on this, they don't choose to live on this. Hey, no. Ain't not a damn thing glorious about it. And, and, I mean, please, like we're flossing the man for $350 a month. Yeah, well, and when it comes time to get off of it, this is one thing that they're using to turn us against each other. When it comes time to get off of it, the amount of money that you make uh, in order to qualify for this and Mm -hmm. the amount of money it makes for you to be self-sufficient, there's this huge chasm between that. So there's a lot of people who can't, who make too much money to qualify right. for, for benefits on things, but do not make yep. enough money to survive. So that's why they yep. have all these jobs. And that's why they hate people who are getting benefits. Right. The, right. It is so difficult once you have the benefits to be able to be self-sufficient. It's, it's not just setup. like, okay, today. it is a setup. It is a yes, setup. Is. And that should be what's getting people angry. And I believe that every single and, construct created by this structure of power, the patriarchal, you know, patriarchal power, is set up to encourage and maintain shit the same exact way that it is. If they wanted some revolutionary shit, they would be practicing some revolutionary shit. But no. They're going to leave it in place because yeah. it's just, so, you, you know, go. dependency gets dependency. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, there's, there's hopefully, you know, I, I like what you're doing. You were talking about the shop and we didn't really get a chance to talk about it. So I wanted to, to bring that up and bring up also the project that I, that I, I, I talked to you about earlier today. What, what I'm hoping to do with with this conversation today too is to have these tough mm-hmm. conversations. You and I didn't agree, sure, one hundred percent with what we're talking. No. You know, tonight. I don't need um, us to agree. I I just need us to talk. Exactly. I want to know what your life is like. If I can know what your life is like, then I know what motivates you to make the choices you do. And could we then come to a compromise where? You don't get all your pieces. I don't get all my pieces, but everyone's got a bowl of soup, a piece of bread, and some medicine. Can we just right. agree on that? If we can agree right. on that, the other shit doesn't matter. We, we find hungry. out that there's nobody. We find out we have more in common in our goals and what we want and what's what we all find important than than what we're being being led to. Right. Uh, believe that we're all so different and and you know what's inherent in the pagan community is i'm a druid mm-hmm. i'm a heathen i'm a i am not a witch. I'm a witch. And it's like we all have to be these special snowflakes we need to understand that we're all in we're this dnd together. characters man back up we're dnd <laughs> characters this is our campaign it's like this is this yeah. is Yo, and for all you dnders out there yes i am version four anyway just kidding no but so what I'm saying is, oh my gosh! Okay, we can't talk anymore if you're using V4, no, man. We cannot. No. No, I. I was kidding. I'm totally <laughs> not. I'm way too old for that shit. So, um, yeah. All right. Well, I'm I gonna go watch it. American Horror Story because it's time for the apocalypse for real. So I'm gonna go do that. <laughs> 
Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and start it. I love you, too. I'm going to start a song, and, okay. and, and everyone have a, a wonderful night. We're going to do another Murphy's Midnight Rounders. I don't know if they've done it as bad bad uh, River Mining Company yet, but this is the perfect one. Uh, this is One Voice by Murphy's Midnight Rounders. We'll be back in two weeks with Brian Hankey live here on Pagan Tonight. One voice cries in the darkness alone to raise a sound that reaches to the throne. Three share a power and they pass it along. Four sing with one voice that is clear and strong. There is strength in our numbers as we share with one another. There is power together as we stand side by side. We won't stand in the shadows and be silent any longer. Our voice is alive and our fear has died. One voice cries in the darkness alone To raise a sound that reaches to the throne Three share a power and they pass it along Four sing with one voice that is clear and strong There is strength in our numbers as we share with one another power together as we stand side by side. We won't stand in the shadows and be silent any longer. Our voice is alive and our fear has died. There is strength in our numbers as we share with one another. There is power together as we stand side by side. We won't stand in the shadows and be silent any longer. Our voice is alive and our fear has died. Plastic candles, ninja swords, and simulated crystal orbs in unread print of Ray's Big Blue. He'll teach young women what he knows if they take off all their clothes and spiral dance into his bedroom. She won't say marry me because she's a vegetarian. She's afraid it violates the reed. She only reads Fiona Horn and believes she is reborn from an ancient Pictish queen. It's fun to be a ceremonial Wiccan druid shaman. Make the rules up as you go along. I want to be a ceremonial Wiccan druid shaman. Come back in another life if I get it wrong. Pixelated motherboards and three-pronged grounded power cords is coming in the chat room on Yahoo. His high priest is in NYC, his priestess is in Germany. The quarter's called from no one has a clue. They read their screens by candlelight, and each one does his own great bread, consisting of the ultimate magic keys. 
party, blessed be. It's fun to be a ceremonial Wiccan Druid shaman. Make the rules up as you go along. I want to be a ceremonial Wiccan Druid shaman. Come back in another life if I get it wrong. Why do people laugh his way and shake their heads and walk away when he says he's a Virgo through and through? He wants to study Salima and the mystic Kabbalah, but Hebrew words are giving him the blues. He understands the Sephiroth from Kether down to Yesera. He even knows what's meant by 661. He won't call his tradition witchcraft. It's more like H.P. Lovecraft. All hail the Necronomicon. It's fun to be a ceremonial Wiccan Druid shaman. Make the rules up as you go along. I want to be a ceremonial Wiccan Druid shaman. Come back in another life if I get it wrong. All he wears is gothic black and tattooed on his gothic back. The scene of Jesus hanging on the cross. The reference is cursory and hanging from his rosary. A pentacle he says that someone lost. He only listens to death metal cause he says it's spiritual. He wants to play guitar like Jimmy Page. Mom's patient with his attitude, her past is strictly true. She hopes that he'll come around someday. It's fun to be a ceremonial Wiccan Druid shaman. Make the rules up as you go along. I want to be a ceremonial Wiccan Druid shaman. Come back in another life if I get it wrong. He learned his sense of history from RPGs like D&D. He thinks Gary Gygax is a god. His paladin keeps getting trounced by wizard clerics who jump out and turn his plus two arrows into mud. The magic that he learns from books like D&D and Terry Brooks he tried to use in circle once or twice. Last time he woke up in a funk in a Mitsubishi trunk cause demons really don't play nice. It's fun to be a ceremonial Wiccan Druid shaman. Make the rules up as you go along. I want to be a ceremonial Wiccan Druid shaman. Come back in another life if I get it wrong. He's TOS and OTO and BTW Borneo. His voodoo priestess grew up in KC. He says his first is frosty and his second is Arthurian. His third he got while studying Reiki. He reads books by Bonowitz, Gramasi, and Budapest in volumes signed by Raven Silver Moon. His path may seem a bit deranged, eclecticism is his game. I think he's added Baptist in there, too. It's fun to be a ceremonial Wiccan Druid shaman. Make the rules up as you go along. I want to be a ceremonial Wiccan Druid shaman. 
Come back in another life if I get it wrong. The Viking path's the one for him, and it's just not a silly whim. His great, 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 great granddad did it too. His songs use funny sounding words. A thousand years they ain't been heard, and some of them are written in ancient runes. He looks upon Paganistan as something to be conquered, and his horn is always filled with meter brews. He laughs at silly pagan folk and thinks he knows more than the Pope is. Mjolnir stuck right up his ass is true. It's fun to be a ceremonial Wiccan Druid shaman. Make the rules up as you go along. I want to be a ceremonial Wiccan Druid shaman. Come back in another life if I get it wrong. Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by WitchSchool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. Judge. Oh, yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Totally ever. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Are we here? You still there? You still there? 